Special guests, but uh, commemorate that special guest this week. We are the Riot Girls. Um, I just saw that movie Moxie actually. Uh, it was on Netflix. It's uh, fine. It's you know pandery, probably written by an algorithm, but it's about uh, Amy Poehler's character. She's the mom, has a kid who's like uh, just starting, maybe like starting high school or, or a junior or not junior. Yeah, yeah, junior in high school, and she's getting into like riot girl and teen culture. And it's pretty interesting. I would actually recommend it if you just want to sit on the couch and if like you're nostalgic for eh, like early to mid '80s like riot girl punk scene kind of stuff. It's 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 definitely a fun watch. Um, but Quentin, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. I haven't done anything in the last few days other than catch up on wrestling. Uh, watch My Hero Academia, and I've <laughs> been reading how Europe under how Europe underdeveloped Africa. So you know, I'm, hit, I'm hitting I'm hitting all my uh, hitting all my quotas. Perfect. Yes, all the all the correct places. And our guest for this week, kind of turning into a regular thing, uh, but don't count on it continuing for much longer. Um, I should have asked before we started, but Parm Man, I guess I'll call you. Is that fine with you, Parm? That is my actual name, so yes, that's fine. Oh, okay. okay, some people, you know, have certain names that they like to be called and not be called. For, is this, how many podcasts have you been on in the past, Parm? This is my second ever podcast, actually. Okay. Yeah, I kind of sworn I remembered you doing something before, but I didn't remember uh, what and how many. So, second time, had to bring yeah, you I, in. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I did one for the 365 podcast at, like, the very start of the pod- pandemic. Uh, that lasted, like, ten minutes, and my audio was terrible. Ah, perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for here today, tonight as well. Um, 
But had to bring you in, heavy hitter, because we're going to review some scuzzy lucha. That's why we, uh, that's the name, hence the name we're going to be talking about, Riot Lucha, here later. Um, but before we do, Quentin, I wanted to talk to you about, I guess, the big story, as far as you and me are concerned, um, and the thing to, to, to think about. The New Japan Cup final, the Will Ospreay post-match angle, and... All of the hubbub. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about any New Japan Cup stuff at all in general on here, or if you've been gone, because I know that you had a match of the... I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, t- I, took my, I, took, I took my week off. Yeah. So like, it, so it feels like we haven't done anything in two weeks, kind of. All, all I did was take what, like, my one week off. Yeah, you took one week off, um, and the week, the week when you recorded, I did the episode with Pete. Or no, no, that was after. That was your week off. But we did the episode with yeah, JML. Yeah, that was my week off. We did the episode with JML uh, talking about stardom primarily. So felt like we haven't talked about New Japan Cup at all. What uh, what did you think about the tournament overall? Because I know you watched most of it. I mean, it was good matches. Like I said, like, like, like neither of us are going to come on here and pretend like New Japan in 2021 is like a great company. Like, I think they're even calling it good. Like, I don't think either of us will call it like necessarily a good company either it's a company that still has like a bunch of really good wrestlers that can go out there and have good good entertaining matches but in terms of like actual investment or excitement about the product like yeah like it's definitely not where it might have been in, in previous years but like all that being said there was like it's, it's good wrestling you're looking at kenta's run uh facing juice robinson Minoru suzuki uh his match versus his match versus shingo and then you got uh Shing, and then you got Shingo's run, uh, starting off with him versus Okada. The Goto match, the Goto match is good. Um, even David Finley getting some good stuff with David Finley there. The Yoshihashi David Finley match was very good. David Finley versus uh Jay and Osprey were both were both good matches. Like it's a lot, it's a lot it's a lot of good wrestling. So like I, I can definitely understand why people might not pay attention to it. And you um you know even got something really good, something I thought was great. And, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Osprey. Uh, Jay White, obviously, great as usual. His stuff versus Tanahashi and Ishii and the Finley match, like I already mentioned. It's a lot, it's a lot of good matches. More, more good matches than I think people might, like, think about on paper. But, you know, obviously the, the excitement isn't there. And, you know, for what it's worth, I, I like the final. I like the, I like, I like the finals match. Some people, uh, didn't seem like Will Ospreay in that match and his selling performance there, but I feel like, like that's not a like uh, uh, to me like they didn't bother me enough or that thing was bad enough to like diminish how good Shingo was in that match. Shingo yeah. was incredible. Shingo was incredible the night before versus Evil too. Like for me, I don't I don't think that any like Osprey gripe like should overshadow how good Shingo was on those last two nights. And like more than anything, and like I get the, the the angle at the end, like um, <clears throat> for bad reasons, you know, takes away from uh, the actual match itself. But like my main takeaway, it was all my main takeaways were all Shingo related. That they're clearly building Shingo up. They're clearly like kind of like slowly building this guy up to be like a cult favorite, and he's gotten big moments already this year from. The Cobb match at the Dome, the Tanahashi, um, never title match at Nagoya, this, uh, New Japan Cup run here, 
and him being like in the sympathetic babyface role and him kind of looking for redemption. Like they clearly have plans for Shingo and like more than anything annoying that Will Ospreay did. Like I, like that was like my biggest takeaway from the tournament is how much they clearly love Shingo. Yeah. No. And Shingo, I thought about it because, you know, there's been a little bit of rumblings, maybe, maybe privately between us and maybe a little bit more uh, with between other people as well as like this idea that like with the way that the list stuff for psychology is dead shook out this year that you're looking at kind of a pandemic era kind of rating or list maybe for the next thing that happens something that kind of combines the the 2020 the limited amount of 2020 and then the the 2021 stuff as we're coming out of the pandemic right we're half almost halfway through the year and we're still pretty pandemic up so it's not it's still not like a full year for 2021 and thinking about that and just thinking about who's been consistent it's like Moxley for sure is on the list, but I'm hard pressed to point to a better case for pandemic wrestler, you know, the pandemic era number one wrestler other than Shingo. Like, I really can't it's look prob- at it's, it's, prob- it's, pro- it's probably like Mox, Shingo, and Darby. Like, yeah. Like, like other, like, out, like once you get past those three, like everyone else, no, no matter how good they might have been, like, the cases start to get kind of inconsistent and limited. Yeah, booking. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, booking's a real big factor with a lot of this pandemic stuff. Like, Black Taurus is a dude who wrestles a pretty similar style to Shingo, and he's been wrestling a lot of matches, but, like, just consistency, he doesn't really get the same setups. He's giving a lot more, like, TNA TV wrestling or, like, undercard matches compared to, like, a Shingo who's getting all those opportunities to deliver similar style. Well, they're both similar styled wrestlers, and they're both rule. But, like, yeah. Shingo's just getting that ball, and he's just fucking smashing it with them Larry so. <laughs> yes every time Shingo gets out there he's knocking it out of the park and yeah I definitely think the final here it, it, it was definitely a different presentation than any of their previous matches um, it seemed a lot more like like it was a story of Shingo is is the better wrestler and Will had to use kind of the injury of the back and work a little bit more nefarious to even be able to compete with Shingo when it came to in-ring wise so that's definitely like yeah, clearly like, like you said yeah, like Shingo Shingo, I don't think I don't think I don't think Shingo hit the last Falconry. I, I don't. No. I don't think. No, Shingo really. Yeah, like, sh- like, sh- when he was able to get going, when Shingo was able to get going, he was dominant. But it was it was the injury that kept taking him out of it, and he couldn't even hit, like you said, couldn't even uncork his big moves. Um, so, sorry, sorry to backtrack here, but that was um, also something that I really I really liked about Jay versus Ishii, um, and Jay finally getting a win over Ishii is that if you watch that match, it's like Jay could only even get. A chance, like an advantage over Ishii after Ishii, like you know, you know, had had the rib injury and is wincing and having difficulty breathing and stuff like that. And then even they, even then, Jay barely beats him. So that, I thought that was like a really interesting touch in the Jay versus Ishii match. That here we are, and the only way that Jay could even like put a put a dent in Ishii is he had to have an injury, and even then, he barely escaped with a win there. Yeah, and that's you know, and this is the thing that I think is is. Like, it's such bullshit and it's such one-sided viewing of things just to, like, fit whatever narrative you're trying to tell. And, you know, of course, I can't fucking help myself. I always got to do this. Uh, but call out kind of the the VOW spear of conversation now about New Japan. And they use this term that infuriates me to no end because it's like, what the fuck does that even mean in the context of wrestling? Like, isn't that what wrestling is based around? But they say, New Japan is now a heel heat promotion. A heel heat. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what? Like that's the point, isn't the point isn't, of wrestling that's, 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 that heals the like literally that, that's like literally wrestling. Yes. You build up you build up bad guys so good guys can beat them. That is like the literal foundation of professional yes. wrestling. It's that, fucking wild. Like to, sound. 
Go, go, go. No. Yeah, sorry to go in on the vow anger, but that sounds like kind of fetishy. Like the Japanese people are too honorable to have heels in real life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. so... It's it's such yeah. an asinine thing to say because it is like, okay, what the fuck does that mean? Wrestling heels are supposed to have heat. And if what you mean is the focus is on the heels getting heat more than anything, like, sure. But if you watch this New Japan Cup and just like you were talking about... The, the real, like, just as much as the heels heat, the story is sympathetic baby faces, underdog baby faces, baby faces with injuries selling. What the fuck is the Okada backstory but about building a sympathetic baby face who's injured? Tanahashi, long term, constantly telling stories about the injuries. Injury here to Shingo's back, injury to Ishii's ribs. Like, while there is a ton of heels getting heat, there's also a ton of sympathetic baby faces selling injuries long-term and telling stories to get the crowd invested in them as underdogs who are overcoming the odds. Like, that's the that's the other side of heel heat. Heel heat only works and is only a thing if they're getting heat on baby faces that you care about. Like, you're building sympathy on a baby face at the same time that you're building heat for the heel. What the fuck? It's, like, it's, it's it's such an infuriating thing to say because it's really looking at one side of the coin and pretending like the other side doesn't exist just to fit whatever narrative you're trying to push. And it's fucking yeah, silly. Yeah, yeah, but, but, it's, but it's also, like, you know, kind of, like, dismissing what New Japan... Like, like, this is why, it, like, I always feel like, for me, like, I get, like, you know... Thinking I'm someone that like you know is invested in new invested in New Japan like um, even more so than I think a lot of people are now like currently like this is what it means when you when people like talk about how annoying New Japan fans are right because like what the like what the fuck is Bullet Club if not like heel heat right like oh, <laughs> like, what is, like what is Suzuki yeah, yeah wait what is what is Suzuki Goon if not heel heat what was Lij <laughs> in in his, in, his, in his early stages, if not heel heat, right? Like why? Like why are we trying to like play this convenient game of like oh they're transitioning into like a new phase of their existence when this has been them for the like you know since 2013, 2012 really like this has been them like I get it like you kind of like trying to find different ways in order to like frame New Japan as a as a curl as it currently exists, but it's okay to say, hey, you know what, New Japan isn't as good as it might have been before. And that's that's a, like it's okay to say that. Doesn't right. mean it's a bad promotion. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. It's just maybe not as good as it was before. But when you start like making statements that make zero sense, it's like like what are we even doing here anymore? Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, if I if I may real quick. Please. There's also like the other factor with the New Japan Cup here where like David Finlay Jr. literally got like the most babyface stuff he's ever gotten to have during this tournament. This is like a promotion that still has Ibushi who is a babyface on top and Tanahashi is like still a top guy for the heels to try and overcome because he's go ace. Like there's a lot of babyfaces in this company that are still getting elevated here. Right. And they're presented strong and and they're focused and they're considered important. Yeah, it's not like the focus of the company. And they're still being... And they're still being built up. Like, Shingo got to have a sympathetic babyface performance in the finals of a major tournament. And David Finley Jr. got to overcome some pretty big heels and made it to the semifinals. David Finley got to beat Jay White for the first time in his career. Yeah, that's he's literally He's yeah. like that. Like, that's like that's the crazy thing is that, like, that gets lost in this is that like they did good shit. And then, like, so, and then, uh, then like, uh, like, you know, people like them will sit there and then, like, say, like, some illogical nonsense and it's like takes away from the actual <laughs> good shit they did right like david finley finally beat jay white they've like, been that, wrestling like, each other for fucking years since they were young lions like that's a big <laughs> de- that's long-term storytelling quite literally 
That's, I mean, that is such a genius booking to point out because in this tournament, Jay White got to beat a brand new guy in Hanare. So to, and, and be a bully heel who's an asshole who cheated to beat a young lion who deserves better than getting fucked over. And then he got to beat, as you said, the ace, go ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi as well. And being completely shitty, playing up this fucking weird ab, having this unique, interesting match, being a complete fucking chicken shit, piece of shit, all this stuff. And then Jay White loses in a match that's a big fucking deal in the context of, as you said, the long-term story of the two, but he still has all the heat of showing off being this amazing heel, beating a young lion and beating the ace in the same tournament where he does get a loss, but the loss means more than just beating Jay White, but it also can be looked at as like, well, he beat Tanahashi, and he happened to lose against a guy who he's beat a a bunch of times in the past. It's one loss, but he's been better than him so much. Like, it's it's perfect fucking booking. It's like optimizing getting the most out of out of a loss to Jay White as you possibly could. It's such great booking. And to like dismiss it as like, oh well Jay White's matches are all formulaic and the structures are all the same and this is a this promotion is all about working heel heat and that's all they care about. Like, come on, they did the best possible way to like get the most out of a loss as they possibly could to make a new babyface. David Finley comes out of this and now it's like, no, he's not a top guy, but now he's a guy who's on the upswing. Now it's interesting. What what does that mean? For him to finally get that win over Jay White, what does that mean for, for Finley's future? Because that can be a big deal. And this can be a signature win to set him on his course of becoming a big-time babyface. Again, great booking for putting a babyface over and positioning a babyface super strong coming out of it. But this is a heel-heat company, and this that's all this promotion cares about. It's such a goofy, goofy take. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Back to, back to like the Osprey, Osprey Shingo. Um... Do you think maybe part of, like, the reaction to the match is that, like, obviously, like, you know, Will Ospreay isn't, you know, the, you know, isn't someone people are, like, really uh, Super very fond of right yeah. now. Well, I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna but, say but, this. But, 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 but oh. I was gonna say also, but, like, not just that, there's, like, in con- like, you know, not just as, like, Will Ospreay is kind of, like, in that group of, like, unsavory individuals, but, like, Shingo was also just been so good. So it's like, right. it's like such a like, oh, come on, what the fuck? Like, even someone like me, like, I still enjoy Will Ospreay matches. Like, Will Ospreay versus Okada, like, might be my number one match of the year, like, Jesus still Christ. to this day. Yeah. I, like, I, like it's, it's, it's not been a good year, like, but still, like, Jesus it's a really Christ. good match. Like, it might, it might be Okada versus Ospreay. It's so not it's crazy. Like, it's not I, crazy. Yeah, so sure, like, I'm sitting. Say that. <laughs> huh? Just- Nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? This is what I was gonna I was gonna point out. The the two best heels in the company are both in Bullet Club. People shit on Bullet Club as nothing but fucking inter- interference and lazy bullshit. But I'm like the two best working heels for match wise that you have are Kenta and Jay White, and they're both in Bullet Club. So I mean all of this like, oh, it's such a fucking terrible over over the hill faction is like such a joke to say that about the stable because they have the best heels for performance wise as far as i'm concerned then you've got osprey and you've got the the united empire and they're doing something that's really kind of out of left field in current new japan is being heels that don't do any of that stuff there's very little interference there's very little outlaw hoopla outside of the ring hoopla you get a little bit of it here but not a lot in the final but i did want to say like for what they're doing and how they're presenting the the um, United Empire and Osprey in general. And in this match, as you talked about, like part of it is the crowd getting or people getting deflated in general because of how much everyone's behind Shingo. And it is something that I, I, I do think that historically, Quentin, you have called out multiple times 
uh, for WWE in booking people not to necessarily to their strengths when you've got all-time legendary babyface type wrestlers who are for some reason being positioned as heels in like a Sami Zayn, a Bailey, and even like a Brian Danielson at times or Daniel Bryan, whatever, and American Dragon, um, uh, Lloyd Boner. Um, but anyways, like <laughs> WWE has these issues where they they put people they put they try to fit a you know a square peg in a round hole. I did want to point out for this final another issue with the booking problems is like. You've got Will Ospreay, who wrestles as a babyface. He's better, I think, historically as a babyface. He's never been a great heel. You can argue that he's really dislikable now, but, you know, for a lot of people. But I think in Japan, he could probably still be just a pure babyface. And you've got Shingo, who he's done his best work historically as a heel. And you've got them switched in this final, wrestling with Will as the heel and Shingo as the as the babyface. And Will is still doing all of his high-flying and all of his crazy spots. And it is like... Is that just as bad? Is that as much of New Japan forcing things to put people in positions where they they don't thrive just to force it? And that's also part of why people come out of this match and they're not as happy with it. I think that's more so like like an Osprey thing because I feel like Shingo like if we're just basing it off of like crowd reaction like how people like people love Shingo like people like can debate this whether like you know as much as they want to but like Shingo is genuinely is genuinely loved his in-ring style is something that you can't deny he's someone that like again look at the 2019 g1 and him going out there just having great match after great match after great match eventually people catch on like oh shit this guy is really good this guy is really awesome and you start to like him even because of that like he was still a heel and still very over in most of his matches in spite in spite of all that i would say that this is what makes it like osprey such a weird case right now in terms of like current wrestling because either way you cut it with Osprey, like, no one will be satisfied. Like, if he's working heel and, you know, it seems like he's getting this big heel push and being a, um, a cocky asshole in the wake of speaking out in his involvement and, in, um, and being, uh, being a rape, being a rape apologist or, you know, and, and all that stuff, um, it will pile, will pile, will pile Yana, then, that looks bad. But if you just sit there and try to work babyface with him and present it as if nothing happened and just have him get cheered for as if like everything is okay, then people people don't like that either. So I think like like Will is in such a strange spot that like you literally can't even can't solve except for obviously some people may like this one, but like you know other than you know, not booking him or not using him because either way what you do with Will just like doesn't kind of click. Unless you're someone that just, like, loves Will unabashedly, like, you know, he's, like, 2019 was the best year a wrestler ever had kind of shit. But other than that, like, Will is in such a weird spot because no matter what you do with him, it feels either disingenuous or feels or, or feels tasteless. Like, there's no in-between. Yeah, that's definitely fair. He's... I'll go ahead, Parm. Yeah, I was gonna say, there is one other factor here that, like, with Ospreys, like, since that angle's happened on social media, you could also make the argument that it's coming off kind of overly edgy. Like, not even... Oh, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we haven't even got there yet and how yeah, bad, sorry. like, the whole then thing you, is. We'll touch on that later. Sorry, Timothy. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. No, no, we're just, we're, we're just kind of talking through it, I guess, still. But, yeah, I just, I think that it's really tough because Osprey, I, I definitely think you're right that it's the in-ring, even before we get to everything that's happened post-match and afterwards, it's like... What do you do with this guy? Because I 
like I said, I was historically even kind of low on the progress heal stuff. I think that Quentin, you liked it even more than I did, but I just don't, I just don't find Osprey compelling as a heal in general. And it, right here, I mean, this is a big match and it's, it was good, but I, I think to me, this is the least of any of the Shingo Osprey matches so far to me. And that's, you know, Shingo's performance was maybe one of the better ones and possibly even his best performance overall out of any of the matches, but the match as a whole to me just didn't deliver as well because of osprey and his positioning i just don't I'm, i can't buy into osprey as a heel and there's many fucking reasons why but like i also don't know if i could ever you know i can't catch the lightning in the bottle and go back to when i liked him as a baby face because i don't think that i could because even towards the tail end exactly of his baby like, face run i didn't like him so yeah it's like what do you do with him exactly like it's like like it really doesn't like there's no other solution here other than fuck it just like you know you, you maybe maybe you want them to stop booking him, but then but then but then it's like just stop watching Will Osprey matches. It's like like the dude he he's in a strange spot that like then just question like comes into a point of like look if it bothers you that much then hey you're well within your right to like not watch the dude. Anyone who doesn't want to watch the dude for whatever reason that may be like that's per- that's perfectly fine. But I'm like I think speaking here like. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with him either. I don't find him particularly good as a heel here in New Japan, but then I don't want to see him as a babyface again. Yeah. And then now going, like, I guess we can talk about the angle a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Just like him beat him beating Shingo, and then he come uh, Bushi comes out and he's giving this promo about how much every all this stuff means to him and how he'll be willing. He's willing to do anything. And like drop anyone or get rid of anyone, and like slowly backs up and hits a cutter on B Priestley. Like even beyond like the kind of like stuff that you might want to point out about how a guy who has been uh, shitty to women in the like you know and like stories have come out in the last year about him, uh, how that angle might not be the best thing, you know, best thing to do. It just was super unnecessary <laughs> for like yeah. the kind of character that J- the, for the kind of character that Will Osprey exactly. is, and like you might have heard me tripping up on my words there, but like it almost felt like them trying to like make him kind of like the original Jay White character. Like that was that was something I noticed even in that promo and then the post match promo is that this felt like debut like he's a killer Jay White. Like the kind of edge lord vibe that everyone everyone got from him that has people calling him knife pervert to this day, that felt like what they're kind of doing with Osprey here. It was like, dude, like you don't even have to do that with Osprey. Like, yeah, like, right. like none of that even ma- none of that even made sense. It wasn't necessary. It didn't make him any more of a hateable heel. Like no one has any. No one in New Japan has any attachment to B Priestley. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's first. Like no She's one, like no one should. No one's really as a heel, as someone that everyone should dislike. Yeah, no one's gonna care that be that this happened to be Priestley, and I don't think it makes Osprey more dangerous that he did that to be Priestley. It's just like it was a weird, super unnecessary angle. Like I'm like I, I, I like it left me dumbfounded. I was already confused and like thought it was ridiculous that he won the New Japan Cup final. And like I was already kind of checked out after that, but then as I like um I think like someone told me to keep watching, and then I kept watching and I saw what he did. I'm like, oh my god, why the fuck did they do that? Like alternatively, like 
they really want to run that angle so bad. They could have like built it up over time. Maybe have Osprey get really fucking pissed after a loss, and then the one time he seems like proud of himself is after he's being up. Be priest and like after you come off like something's changed, but like the man already won a major tournament. It's like, am I supposed to focus on the tournament win or am I supposed to not give a shit and focus on this like kind of tasteless out of nowhere angle? There's like a lot of different ways you could have just execution wise made it so much better beyond like the obvious weirdness beyond the angle itself. Well, there's a disjointed nature to it that I think that is it's been I think somewhat overlooked as i've heard people talk about it because like even both of you guys like what you're saying there you don't really even like maybe maybe you see it and and i'm wrong but like to me like the the major thing that like the tone is completely off is he does it and it's prefaced with this setup of saying i'm this is something that matters to me so much that i'm going to do something that is fucking terrible because i care about this person and like this is how much I care more about the championship is that the person who I care about the most I'm going to attack. Okay. That, that checks out. I get that. I'm such a ruthless killer and cold blooded that this is the kind of thing that I do. But then his post match behind like, or the, you know, the, the post whatever press conference, the angle is like celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. He said, he said, they said, they said they're all buddy, buddy drinking beers, but Jeff Cobb and Ocon, like he didn't just cut her his fiance. Yeah. It's not the idea of cutting of the attack on her was not, I don't give a shit about her. It was the idea. I care so much about her, but I care more about the title. So then post match celebrating and we're going to go out for some beers and, and maybe pick up new chicks because now I'm single completely undercuts the idea that he gave a fuck about B and attacking her was important. So it's like, okay, you're, you're tonally completely missing the fucking mark here. You're like undercutting the emotional resonance of this angle within moments by just being like, oh yeah, he actually didn't give a shit about B. So now what do I care? I don't care that you cut her to her because like Quentin said, she's, she's been presented as nothing but a heel in this company. We do not give a shit about her. Fuck, even in stardom, even if you follow stardom, she's seen as a heel and you're not supposed to like her. So, oh shit. Okay. He cut her a girl that we don't like, but she's important to him. But then a few minutes later, he's like, ah, fuck it. I don't care. I'm moved on. So then, okay, fuck this whole thing. This whole angle is bullshit. Then you get the stuff he's posting on social media with the drunk and the champagne out in front of the dome or whatever, talking about winning the title. And it's just like, okay, now everything is so muddled and so confused. We are getting into the territory of the last thing we need. Another heel in wrestling. Who's the dang joker. And it looks like, oh no, Will Ospreay is emotionally conflicted and he can't control himself and he's drinking and his emotions are taking over. Okay, so Will Ospreay's twisted. Is that the point? Like, oh, great. This is what we needed. Another... Because like I said, the Empire was interesting because it was the only heel faction in New Japan that wasn't really doing underhanded, dastardly heel shit. They were just like a bunch of guys who won matches and they were dicks and selfish and built around this idea that Ospreay had this like kind of supremacy complex. Um... Okay, cool. But then now he's the Joker. So awesome. This is exactly what we needed is another fucking wrestling villain Joker, I guess is what we're getting here. Um, so yes, lots of fun. I think that they did this all very well. Um, they didn't mess any part of this up, but they didn't, like you said, do this angle with someone who already has a terrible history with women. Um, because, okay, even before the stuff with, um, Pollyanna was like widespread out there. There had been rumblings of bad stuff with Osprey and women, including like his ex girlfriend before he was dating B. There was stuff online about yeah, him. like yeah, like that's like, that's like that's the thing that like the, Will Osprey's 
stuff involving treating women treating treating women in less than stellar manner doesn't just stop at Pollyanna. Like even if you wanted like you know, like me and you've talked about it talked about it in the podcast. Like even if you want to like say that hey, you know the owner of the of the rest gal worked for did did stuff for Lucha Britannia and probably also know Scotty Wainwright on his own on his own level too. In that he probably didn't need Will Ospreay's pushing in order to do something like that because he probably already knows Scotty. Like even if that even if that's the case, uh, it doesn't like to, to take away the fact that like Will Ospreay went on Twitter defaming defaming someone who yep. came for who came for about a sexual assault, and then it also doesn't change like other like allegations of abuse or emotional abuse like the Osprey face from previous partners. Yes, like and like you, like even if you want like like even if you want to like. Take away the blackballing, like which I may probably say, hey, that might that that probably might might be might be the case that he didn't he might not he might not have done that. It doesn't change everything else, right? And it's like, you know, there's a lot of questionable historic stuff about Osprey, and this is the thing that I think it's another thing. It's another VOW, whatever. I don't, I, I hate to call it out, but I do. Other people say it too, like, oh, you know, when he first came into New Japan, people already had a bone to pick with Osprey and talk shit about him, and there was no negative stuff about Osprey at that point. And it's like that's not true because we just pointed it out. There was already rumors and hints and stuff, and Pollyanna, I believe, had even tweeted something before Osprey came into New Japan about this stuff but it wasn't as public it wasn't as openly known but people knew that there were stories about osprey being shitty there was also osprey at being the top wrestler in the uk getting all these bookings making plenty of money and doing a gofundme to pay to replace his mom's car do you remember that one like there was already rumblings of hey this will osprey guy seems like kind of a grifter and kind of a piece of shit before any of this Pollyanna stuff was like main mainstream, to, so to say that like even before there was any grumblings of that Osprey was a piece of shit, people are already starting to like have bones to pick with him just because they didn't like or, him or, on or social like, media. Tim, like Tim, like Tim, like Tim, we have fr- we have friends that know that like know of Osprey through like friends of friends through like different yes. through, through certain scenes. Like yeah. <laughs> There's been like, like so even 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 going even going back that far like yeah like oh right. like it's not it wasn't new to hear oh Osprey fuck that guy right like even before all of that like in private right yeah, there's always like, been yeah there was a, there's also just you know the dude in general on social media the dude once like went on social media to shit talk a woman who had to leave a stardom tour early because yes. her family member of hers died like just openly in public without any context you know right. Yeah, the guy has always, he's, on top of just always been known to be kind of shitty, he also has a checkered past with his interactions with women, clearly. And it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, everyone just has a bone to pick with this Pollyanna thing, and that's the only reason why anyone has ever had an issue with Osprey. And it's like, no, there's, when there's smoke, there's fire, there's a lot of issues with Osprey historically. And he was not the guy to do this angle with. There was no point to it. And even if you don't believe that, you know, and you just think like, oh, whatever, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to curtail the decisions you make based on allegations. Like, that's fine. But they also fucked the angle of Six Ways to Sunday before it even finished by completely ruining the tone of the, of the delivery of the angle. And, and they undercut it to where you didn't get anything out of it anyways. So it was also like a shitty angle that was done poorly. So it was in poor taste. And it was executed poorly, so mine is pretty pretty much would have been much better off just not doing it. I think I think I think we could I think are we, yes. we going to move on here from, yes. from New Japan and Osprey? Please. 
Um, Last thing, the X, so, the X for the Empire, okay. do you think it's Hanare, Hikuleo, or do you think it's somebody else? Because I'm thinking possibly Ozzy Open. What do you think? I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know about this. Uh, was, yeah, the next big it? New Japan show has a, I think it's like a trios tag where there's an X. There's one X uh, who's going to be a new member of the uh, United Empire um, wrestling with... Uh, with the uh, Ocon and Cobb against uh, trios of like a couple other people. Okay. Yeah. If if it's if it's one spot, like I, I yeah, I have, I have no clue who it would be. Could it I be a see... New Japan strong member? It could be. No, that's, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking like, I was thinking like Fredericks or something. Probably. Fredericks kinda. could be Fredericks. Could be uh, Fred Rosser. Wouldn't be a terrible one. Um, what was his WWE name? Uh. Darren, Darren Young. Darren Young. Yeah, Darren Young, possible. I could see Robbie Eagles, you know what I mean? Like I could see Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I could yeah, that that yeah, that definitely could be Robbie actually. But who knows? Robbie's Robbie's been super quiet. Yeah. He's had a couple good matches year, so. in Australia recently, but yeah. He's been he's definitely been off the radar a little bit lately. Um but we can move on. That was just the last little thing, but you hadn't even heard about it. So I don't know, Parm, had you heard about it? Do you have any guesses or or just what we uh, said? No, I'm also one of those people who uh, without the, ignoring the New Japan Cup, I've been kind of having trouble keeping up with pandemic era promotions like a lot of other people. Sure, sure, can't blame you. Uh Quentin, moving on. What did you want what did you what were you thinking about moving on to? I want I want to want to hear what you got. Um, I was thinking maybe we could like uh, do a little bit of uh, NXT and AEW if you wanted to. Okay, let's do it. I've been a little out on NXT. I'm not gonna lie. I've kept up. I've watched a good amount of stuff, but uh, I haven't been like super up on it because it's kind of boring and not that good. Um, but we can definitely always. It's always nice to shit on Killer Defi- Cross. Hey, you know what? <laughs> definitely fair. I would say. Um, Dakota Kai has been incredible this year. Definitely. Uh in like she like all the all the different tag matches from uh the Dusty from the Dusty Cup women's tur- women's tournament to the uh the tag title match against Shayna and Nia and then uh the other match against uh Shotzi and Ember and then the TV match you just had with Zoe Starks and then they just had another match of Dakota and Raquel versus Io and Zoe Stark. Dakota Kai is great. She's really good, and like, I think that she should be a big program for EO. I get that Raquel probably is like the better prospect to them, even if I think that's like super short sighted. But Dakota has been incredible, incredible this year. Um, I'm not sure if you caught uh, any of the Finn Balor uh, big big matches oh. lately with Rod, with Roddy and Adam Cole. Yeah, I've I've been watching all the Finn Balor stuff. I mean, this guy, he's another one who could be in the conversation. He'll be a low-level like pandemic wrestler kind of on the list, but he'll make the list because of the quality of his output even though it's been very limited cuz yeah, he feels like something completely different than everything else mm-hmm. in NXT. He stands out no matter who he's wrestling. And that's the crazy thing too is he can wrestle Adam Cole, who's like the most NXT NXT wrestler right now like you know he's the guy who you when you think of the house style of NXT you think of obviously Gargano and Ciampa and then Adam Cole and still Finn Balor can have a match with Adam Cole and it feels like something completely different and it doesn't feel like just another one of these shitty NXT matches which is really impressive uh both 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 of those are really good so just wanted to talk about uh Finn and Dakota Kai real quick I think that they've been uh, the highlights of the last of the last uh few weeks and then aid and then aew 
uh, Darby getting to come out there and, and, defend, and, and defend the title again. The defenses versus Scorpio Sky and John Silver in re, in, re, in recent in recent weeks. Uh, Kenny Omega, Kenny, you know the act kind of sucks. Um, I think I think it's safe to say by this point, but. Kenny versus Seidel from the latest, from the latest AEW show was really good. And then he's been in a couple of good trios matches that, that, I've, that I've liked a lot. But obviously the crown jewel of all this is, uh, you know, Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa from, uh, March 7th, from the, from the March 17th, uh, Dynamite episode. Uh, a match that if you like looked in the right places on Twitter, you saw that it was getting very hyped up. And, um, the night of, you know, it was, it was a weak card. And these two got the main event slot and they put on a match that's like still being talked about right now in a constantly moving nonstop wrestling news cycle. Uh, I really liked it. I feel like among our group of friends, I think I'm the high man, but what did you guys think of Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa? Wait, feel free to go on that one, Parm, if you have anything to say. Uh, I don't really have like too much of value to add beyond like, this is clearly like a major star making match for Britt Baker. It's the type of shit she should be making money off of for years and all that. But like something I've been seeing on like, I guess, social media is that people have been kind of ignoring Thunder Rosa and she did really fucking good here. Like she really came off as like a valiant ass kicker who just wants to fucking murder Brett. And that just so charming to me because like having a baby face who just wants to kick ass and able to do so in a death match is always cool. And like, you know, we all saw the bloody face of Britt Baker. We all saw the fact that AEW already has merch for it in under an hour because, you know, official merch receipt, you know. Um, match itself <laughs> was really good, obviously, but not, so I'll let you two riff on it. Yeah. Well, say so at its core, you, can, you can't, you, you know, you can't forget that uh, AEW is a t-shirt company, right? That was the that was the meme for the beginning before AEW ran any shows. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, of course they got the merch game on lock, but... Uh, but yeah, that match, it was a, it was definitely a star-making match. It's a gifable match. It's a clipping match. It's a match that you can tell stories with forever. I do think that, unfortunately, I was a bit spoiled because I didn't watch it live. And just the amount of hyperbole that I saw for it, it turned me off. But I, I really thought it was it was done super well. You know, hearing, like, it's the best women's match that happens on, happened on U.S. soil ever and shit like that. And then... Yeah. And, and then... And then Dave saying that Britt here came across as more of a star than Sasha Banks ever has. Yes. Wait, it, what? What? He said every woman wrestler. He said every WWE women res- women's wrestler that Britt came across like a bigger star then. Which does, is insane. Does everything have to be the best thing ever in history? Can yes. Can not just be really good? <laughs> yes, yes, but also it's like, do you like not realize who Sasha Banks is? No. It's, yeah, she's legit one of like the only five wrestlers I can talk to with like random people in real life, which yeah. is impressive. No, it's insane. And Quentin, I know that you have a personal like connection to the star power that Brit has, or that not Brit, that Sasha has outside of wrestling fan circles. You know what I mean? Like, and we all kind of do. Like, my wife was was similarly like a huge fan of Sasha Fierce. You know what I mean? Like she loved Sasha Banks before she even really paid attention to wrestling. Like my niece similarly like loved Sasha Banks the few times that she saw her just from coming around like when she would watch wrestling with me. You know what I mean? Like Sasha is ge- Sasha's genuinely special. Like a genuinely special, she should be the biggest star in a company kind of talent. Like for as good as Brit was here, I thought and I do think that Brit was good beyond bleeding. Right, like Britt laid in some heavy shots here. Like she was talking, she was talking a lot and being 
super verbal in her body language and stuff. And I don't think Brit's ever been like Brit's a terrible wrestler. I feel like she's been like competent yeah. for a while, yeah, but yeah. like she couldn't be some she couldn't be someone that could like be like the you know the uh, linchpin of the division. She wasn't someone that you could consistently count on to go out there and deliver and give you a great match. Like which is a fair knock on her. Like she was really good here, but I but like that it definitely bothered me. To see that, and obviously, like you know, Dave is Dave, and Dave has his reasons for uh, right for do for doing stuff like that and saying stuff like that. But like, I don't want to use Dave as a way to like you know uh, knock down this match or like use it as a reason to call this match overrated or whatever. For like, for all with all that being said, like this is a match more so than like anything you could say in the last like couple of years, maybe. That, like, this could change the entire trajectory of someone else's career. Yes. Like, Thunder Rosa, um, Parm mentioned it here for, like, you know, the credit, for, like, how, like, she's not really getting credit here. And, like, it sucks, but, like, the, the main reason why is because Thunder Rosa's good. We already know that Thunder Rosa's good. She just had a match last year or a couple of years ago that, like, people were raving about on one of those NWA shows. People are aware of how good Thunder Rosa has gotten. Like, that wasn't new information. Britt Baker reaching into herself and pulling out this kind of performance and something this memorable, like, that's kind of what makes it, like, Britt's moment. And it does kind of, like, create, like, this lasting image that, uh, I think will be, like, in the minds of wrestling fans for, for a while. And, um, I think that, um, yeah, like, this, I, th- I think that this could be a possible, legit career changer for Britt. Like, if she's able to capitalize on this and she's able to maintain this level of consistency throughout the next few months, years of her career, I like, I like the promo she gave on AEW this week, um, you know, not turning, not turning herself face after that. But this is a thing that really could legitimately change the whole trajectory of Brit's career when people were writing her off. You know, people were, Oh, I don't think Britt has the potential to be the face of the AEW women's division as much as they like her, as much as she was the first woman they signed and all these things. And this match you could point to was the moment or could be the moment where, all right, Britt made Britt got everyone to take her seriously. It's almost like, you know, her, uh, her Tommy dreamer, her Tommy dreamer, uh, moment where he's, where he's, where he's getting caned. Like, it's it's almost that for Brit, so I think I think that's where uh, the talk then comes from. That Brit is, is Brit's moment, and she comes across like this, and it, the and the shine gets taken away from Thunder Rosa. Yeah, no, the comparison that was in my head that I was I was gonna get to eventually, and then like you really hit it over the head there to lead to it is my point of being of like mentioning that like I feel like I was a little bit spoiled on it, and like hearing everything in the hyperbole and all that kind of took me out of it but but at the same time i'm kind of like well if i had heard the same level of hyperbole before i had seen like the undertaker mankind hell in a cell match i probably would have had the same reaction because it's like watching the match itself i'm jaded enough to where at that point by where i had seen that match i would have been like well if i had heard all that i'd be like well cactus jack i've seen do more insane shit than this really 
Like, falling off the cell was very high, but I've seen him do fucking insanely brutal stuff. This isn't the craziest shit he's ever done. People going nuts for it, it doesn't mean anything. But when you talk about what this can mean for someone's legend, and like I was saying, like, clipping it, gifing it, referencing it for years to come, this can be a career trajectory-changing, division-changing, epic star-making match that can be talked about in the history of AEW as something that stands out. Hey, do you... I mean, fuck, even that really shitty... It was like, uh... I only remember that it was Trish Stratus and it was either Victoria or Lita had like a, uh... A hardcore match that was the main event of an episode of Raw, and it was a big fucking deal. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Trish and Lita main event. Yes, yeah. and it was like, oh my god! But that match was not very good. But it was still used as a history-making performance in this crazy wild brawl. Well, now you have a version of that that's actually a good match. You know what I mean? That's like you can actually show it, and you can actually talk about it, and people will legitimately believe it as something important that happened and you can use it to, again to make the stars. And you mentioned it with Brit because throughout the entire pandemic, I was like a pretty strong backer of Sheeta and like, yes, it makes sense to have put the title on her because while everyone's been talking about that Brit could lead the division, as you said, I don't know that we can a hundred percent trust that she can go out there and do the same thing that Sheeta's done the entire pandemic, which is go out there with no crowds or small crowds and delivers solidly in a way that, like, gets the emotion from the crowd and every time gets people to buy in and, and gets you invested watching on TV with a really solid yeah, performance. Yeah, like, 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 if we had reg- regular crowds, then absolutely I think that Britt Baker, yes. when she, like, once she turned heel, could have been champion. One, like, you know, if we had crowds. But absolutely, in the scenario, in the reality of the world in which we are in now, there was absolutely no way you would have been doing a, dis- a disservice to AEW and to Brit to put to put her in a situation like that. Yes, and so, but now this performance, as you said, it showed something out of Brit that makes me go, "Yes, she's ready. Yes, she can be counted on to do this." And like, you should put the title on her, and you should basically get her out here, like. Get her as the champion and, and, and actually do this with her. And you talked about, you guys both talked about Thunder Rosa and, and we've seen how good she is, but I'm just kind of like, I'm thinking because I remember a few years back, three, four years ago, when Thunder Rosa was on this tear in Texas, there was a time when Texas kind of had this burgeoning women's scene that a lot of people didn't notice, like 2015 through like yeah. 2018. They, there was a ton of really yeah. good female wrestlers like Dahlia Doom. Like, Kylie Ray would pop in pretty regularly. Thunder Rosa, this was like Tessa Blanchard would come through Texas a bunch. Um, got Matchka. Yeah, like, like, go ahead. Isn't, isn't, isn't Allie from, isn't Allie Cat from Texas? Allie Cat, Christy James. There was a ton of, like, really good women's wrestlers that were all around at the same time. And Thunder Rosa was one of them who was having kick-ass matches a ton in Texas throughout that time period. So it's like, okay, you know, she was having a a bunch of really good matches just even a few years ago. So it is like, yeah, we all know that she's been really good for a while, but it's, it's good to finally see her getting a chance to show that off, you know, in front of people because, because she's been really good for a long time and she's just finally now getting to show it off. Um, Moving on, moving on there. There's a couple more uh, bigger matches. Bigger matches I want to hit before before we move on. Uh, did every, everyone see the Yuki Ueno versus Yusuke Okada match from uh, March 14th in DDC? Uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head. Oh, really? You didn't get to see, you didn't get to see it yet? I, I'm pretty sure I saw it, but I don't. 
Okay, it was Ueno and um, who did you say? I'm sorry. Okada. Oh you, yes, you yes, Okada. yes, yes, yes. I did see this, and I was like, I won't say that it was bad, but I was slightly disappointed just because both of them have been so good this year that I was expecting like epic, but yeah. And you saw and you saw the hype already. Yeah. Before you watched. Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. Uh, well, no, no, I hadn't seen any hype from other people before I watched it, but I was just expecting this to be like. I was expecting match of the year contender level match, and it was really good, but it wasn't quite there. But uh, for me, like it's it, it's 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 close. Like it like it, it um it hit this spot where I feel like they hit that kind of no man's land of a match where you're right there on the break of something special, but then you either went too long for the kind of story and pace that they are working at, or you went too short because you're trying to convey this underdog story of Yusuke Okada. And that, and that I think really damaged the match for me because for as much as I loved it for how intense and hard hitting it is and how cool it is, cool it is to see two, two newer guys, two fresher guys go out there and decide we're gonna own this shit tonight. We're gonna go out there in Corkin Hall. We're gonna own this building building tonight and make them and make them uh make them make them make them remember this. And these two guys are playing the part. It's really good. They're doing everything that they can to make this a super memorable match. And I think the match gets stuck in the things that it wants to be. Do you want to be compact and tight and hard hitting and fast and furious? Or do you kind of want to tell this elevation story and the resilience of Yus- um, of, of Yusuke Okada? And I think they got caught trying to play both there, where they should have leaned into should have leaned more into one or the other. And as this as this match as the match ended, and it, uh, I was like, man, fuck! Like, I wish I had five more minutes. And I know that like I'm someone part of our friend group that doesn't really mind matches being longer or mind longer matches but it was a thing where man like for the kind of story that you were building up there of Yusuke Okada earning his earning his keep and earning his respect and being so resilient it kind of sucked to say to, to see the way it kind of abruptly ended for how they were building it so I think for me I, I, land, I landed at a four and a quarter four and a quarter on it but I was waiting for it. I wanted to pull the trigger so bad it was getting there on that four and a half range on that match on that match of the year range for me. And the way it ended, I just I could I couldn't do it. But it's still it's still really good nonetheless. The first match was great. This one was this one was this one was even better in my opinion. And Yuki Ueno continues to have a really tremendous year. But I was like so close, and I felt like this match was stuck between two different things. Uh, Parm, did you see the match? No, unfortunately, it's been on my watch list. I DET is a promotion I'm horrible with keeping up with, uh, but I've heard the hype within those like Slack chat, and I'm a big Okada guy, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and actually, you know what? I'm I'm um I'm going to say that while I I don't change my opinion insanely, I do think there is a chance that I was slightly thinking of the other match because the other match was in the smaller building, right? the the one from january yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah this 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 is in Kurokin. this is in Kurokin, yes and i do remember this um the it was the other match i think that the january match that was a little bit more disappointing to me um even in january 
but because I think I watched it like in February or March. Um, this um, again, I uh, I don't I don't think I would say match of the year contender, and I agree with pretty much everything you said there. One thing that I think stood out in this, uh, especially, was that to this point. Um, for the, the Universal title run and even like the tag team matches and stuff that Ueno has been doing this year, this was one of the first matches where he's kind of more positioned as the like the co-high, the higher of the two, as you talked about, or like yeah. even like even footing. So that was a little bit weird, and I think that that did affect the structure because I think that Ueno is pretty regularly presented as the lower or the person who's working up, the underdog, and and I think that structuring the match, as you said, and what your what story are you trying to tell? This was like a mix where he didn't quite get it. It's good to see him in this setting, and I want to see more of this. I want to see Ueno because there was flash, as you said, like there's flashes of it there where it he seems like he's going to be very good as, at working on top. But it's almost, I mean, it's similar to like uh, Tak Takash Takashita Takashita. Um, Takeshita, I guess, right? Um, either way, like that when he was kind of transitioning from being the, the rookie underdog to being the ace, there was a little bit of growing pains. And I think that Yuena was in that same position. There's a little bit of growing pains where he needs to, if he's going to become the ace, which I think me and you both feel like he should, it's the first time in a long time that DDT actually feels like they have a guy that they're going with and that they're, they're building who deserves it, <laughs> like really deserves the push that he's getting. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, because because they hit they hit the, that that eject button on Mao really quick. Yeah, and hey, they weren't wrong. But there's there's a lot of times where it feels like there's guys that they should push that they don't, and there's a lot of times where it feels like they push guys that they shouldn't. Um, and especially lately, it's been kind of kind of tough. Um, like with the, you know, like I'm just thinking of the, uh, the Tanaka title run recently. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, there is some situations where stuff like that happens. This is the first time in a while where it feels like they have a bona fide guy that they should be pushing towards being the next top guy. Um, and I, I want to see more of Ueno getting comfortable in this role because this is going to hopefully be his future. And as you said, like the, the structuring of it felt like he didn't quite get it. Like he was not comfortable being the the top guy in the match and he was kind of like going back to some of some of the tropes of being the underdog um when he should have just kind of stayed somewhat dominant and let okada get like hope spots and and keep okada a little bit more under his thumb and i think that's the problem is uno might be just a little bit too giving still um and wanting to like work more to make the other person look better and sometimes you got to be a little bit more dominant and I think that historically, like, people look at that as, like, a bad thing and guys politicking and guys, you know, only thinking about themselves and not caring about their people. But honestly, sometimes it's not just about that. It's not just about protecting yourself, but it's also, like, about the presentation and the quality of the product. And, like, wrestling matches are a lot more enjoyable when there is a hierarchy that feels natural and it feels like it's actually there. And so it's like, I do kind of want the presentation of a guy who comes across as more of a top guy. Like, you know, and and, and that dynamic just makes it easier to enjoy what I'm watching when I know, like, okay, this is the hierarchy, this is the top guy, this is the underneath guy. And Ueno, in this situation, Ueno should have been clearly the top guy. And Okada should have been the underneath guy. Like... In this setting, there's just no question about that. But it, it, there was a question in the presentation of the match. Uh, and Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan from Fastlane from uh, last from from last weekend. 
consensus years in the making yeah, ma- match years in match of the yeah. decade match of the year like <laughs> what do we think yeah like year, year, years in the years in the making man six yeah. years in the making uh i, I loved it like uh, not my match of the year or anything, but what could like what could go up with a re- with a rewatch? Like, definitely probably my favorite worked in match of the year for sure in terms of stylistic approach and pacing and the ideas of what they presented it with. This probably is the best work match of the year, so that could easily wind up shooting up to be to being number to being number one for me. Um, I would say that the lack of the finish, like even if, even if it wasn't. As bad as WWE bullshit usually gets, I think with a finish, with an actual finish, this could have reached even greater heights, and maybe they get a chance to do that later on this year. But, again, Brian versus Reigns feels like, man, we could have gotten this a bunch of different times yeah. over the course of like the last six years. And, obviously, Brian was was gone, but like in a perfect world, we, we could have had... like. A good like three or four or five matches between these guys, because you look you look at this here in twenty twenty one, and they look at what they did in twenty fifteen, and like they're they're it's phenomenal both times. Yeah, it's really it's really good both both times. It's a uh, really smart, calculated Brian performances that are highlighting everything that are that are Ro- that are Roman's strengths, and Roman's only gotten better since that point in twenty fifteen. He is much more comfortable. Roman's working a much more, uh, working a ro- working a role that's definitely more catered to his skill set and what he and what he offers. And I, you you watch that opening and you see Brian kind of toying with Roman and pissing him off and suckering him in and doing these little jabs to to ro- to Roman to Roman's gut here. It's like man, there's there's a magical match in here between these two and they were knocking on the door of it here, but it didn't quite get there, but I was still probably called the best work match of the year. Yeah. Parm, what are your, uh, you got any takes on this bad boy? Uh, I'm not really as in love with this match as a lot of people, at least I've seen have been talking about, but I do still really like it. It's like a very nice kind of free flowing match, which just kind of presents the idea of, yeah, Roman's the top guy. What if there's someone who's just better than him? And there's a lot of moments in the match where, like, Brian feels like he is indeed the real top guy. And Roman's, like, entire thing could just completely crumble apart. And a big thought after the match was thinking that as soon as crowds are back, this is a feud you fucking run for months and months on end. Because, like, this feels like the two top guys competing for the top title they possibly can. This feels like a big, major matchup that you talk about for like years afterwards and it's something you can easily position like tv around as they have been for like the past month the edge stuff i haven't been watching a lot of like tv recently so i don't know how it come came across pre-match but it definitely feels more like edge kind of turning heel or trying to do a shades of gray thing and like i'm fine with it i guess i don't really know how edge has been looking since we're coming back but i've heard generally solid things but yeah uh, the match itself was good. They kind of just... The exciting thing is they kind of felt like they were just kind of gently touching upon what they could do if they really wanted to go all out, like Quentin mentioned earlier. Yeah, this... So this match, I think, is is a really great example of the kind of the, the proof of the long-term kind of thing that people have always said, which is that 
you know, wrestling in general. People talk about it like for the the entire shows. People could talk about it for the matches in specific, but it's like basically everyone people's opinions of stuff in wrestling comes down to the ending and the finish of the match, the end, the last match on the pay per view, whatever it is. That's the thing that people is their takeaway of the entire thing. And so this match, if your takeaway is based solely on the finish because that's the last thing you see that's the last thing you remember i can definitely see not being high on this match but the opening of this match is fucking amazing i love the opening of this match because it is not wwe it is it reminds not me, not not at, not not at all yeah, it reminds me of world of sport it's like cat and mouse game it is like basically like like uh Brian playing with Roman, Brian like, you know, again like being like wily and poking the bear just repeatedly, like you know s- sneak attacks, but being like better than him technically as well, and just like you said, pissing him off, bobbing and weaving, and that kind of shit is just not what WWE is allowed. And you talk about comparing this to their match from was it 2015? Um. 2015, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like I have a pretty vivid memory of that match still because that was at a time period where I still actually paid attention to WWE more than I do now. And it's like that match was a lot more WWE, but it still showed what makes this feud and these two guys what should be a feud work. Their their dimension is like this is the epitome of styles make fights. When people say that and it's a trope, but it's like these guys I haven't even looked into it, but like, you know, you think of Brian as the veteran and he's much older, but I bet these guys are not that far apart in age, really. But yeah, Brian, Brian's like 38 and like Roman's probably like 33. Right. Probably. Yeah. So it's a couple years apart, but you really think of Brian as being this wily veteran who's been around forever. Roman being this young, aggressive, physical thing like Brian's technical Roman's a violent physical brawler they're like have totally different backgrounds height weight size everything about them is just so diametrically opposed that this is like the roman roman, roman was a college was a, was a division one college athlete right while brian danielson gave his whole life to wrestling <laughs> brian danielson played no sports in high school you know what i mean like people talk about punk not being like a, a natural athlete brian was not an athlete brian did no sports in high school no athletic background but yeah d- gave all of his life to pro wrestling was the number one most focused thing so focused on wrestling that when they told him he couldn't wrestle anymore he figured out a way to be able to come back right like this guy cares so much about wrestling and it's the only thing that he's ever been singularly focused on roman this feels like going into the family business because he washed out in football like you said so it's like diametrically opposed the perfect fucking feud the perfect just style like i said styles make fights and then this match feeling like it's not a wwe match feeling like because just old this reminds me like i said world of sport old school nwa jcp like this felt like an old style of wrestling match you know you know you know like i was watching um a buddy rose versus jay youngblood match uh last night and just like even like kind of like watching something like that and Portland, Portland kind of like had like a different style, yeah. Uh, than you could say like a lot of other promotions had at the time, especially Buddy and what Buddy liked to do, what Buddy liked to do in the ring, you know. Um, but to see them keep working this match around Buddy continuously catching Jay Youngblood in this in this fly in this flying hammerlock and going right back going going back to it two times 
And then a third time, Jay Youngblood thinks he figured it out. And then Buddy still finds a way to trick him and get him back into the hammerlock. Like, it's just like such like a unique structure to a match that you don't see that you don't see anymore. And like, obviously this isn't like, this isn't like apples and apples here, but like, that's just like kind of like, kind of like to think of this match is that in the context of WWE, this is so unique. Yeah. Like, it's not the most ridiculous thing in the world that you'll see. You'll see kind of like DDT matches. Uh, open, open like this, and it won't be, it won't, it won't be, uh, super, super out of place. But in the world of WWE, this felt like a completely different style. You're, you're right. This opening five minutes almost felt like you were watching a completely different promotion. And obviously, eventually, the transition into more typical WWE stuff. But yeah, uh, I think, I think we're all in agreement here that these two aren't even really like, Hitting like their ceiling as much as what they no. could possibly do together as a pairing. Yeah, no. And the, and the point is, like you said, that stuff that you're referencing, like Buddy, like I've seen Buddy do a ton of matches like that. Uh, just on the on the podcast network, go check out the Humble Headlock if you haven't heard that yet. Uh, but Boots and Trunks, he talks about a Dick Murdoch match with Hacksaw Butch Reed. That's like a headlock match. I saw a similar match um, with Dick Murdoch and uh, Pat O'Connor, and I think it was in. I think it was in Japan, and they did uh, like a similar match, uh, worked around a, uh, a figure four headlock the entire time. It's like that's an old trope of wrestling is like going to the same hold repeatedly, right? Like that's all, and that's that's like I said, an old trope of wrestling, pro wrestling. WWE, when you see something that feels like it's calling back to tropes from professional wrestling, it feels fucking weird. It feels out of place to see WWE allowing guys to do a wrestling match so that was why it like really stood out because that's what it was it was like this felt like a wrestling match and you don't really see a ton of wrestling matches in wwe unfortunately at this point um i'll, I'll, send, I'll send you i'll send you the link after this yes. i'm not sure if you i'm not sure if you've seen the jay youngblood versus buddy rose match i'm talking about it, it's likely i've I watched a ton of portland but I, i'll always watch more especially buddy rose in portland is some oh, of the best yeah. stuff Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Buddy Rose in general is like, God damn. just like sit down and like pick and pick one of those playlist years and just go through all the Buddy Rose matches. I'm like, it's like, yes. oh fuck, he's really good. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, this could be a transition, I think, to our main event. I referenced Boots and Trunks. Got a reference, uh, Barabata Tag Boom. And uh, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about how uh, you know our network, this network's really filling out with a lot of uh, a lot of like smart, interesting wrestling talk. And I'm just like, how can we compete? And having, you know, come Pete, having Pete on with me the other day, and it was kind of a, 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 um, a, I don't know, a reunion of This Week in Wrestling, it reminded me that Quentin, like, the point of This Week in Wrestling with me and Pete, the point of, like, me and you is, like, dumb jock wrestling podcasts, right? Like, that's that's our unique uh, deliverance that we can do on here. Even with Psychology is Dead, your podcast being really intelligent, and the other really intelligent podcasts on the network. This is the Dumb Jock Wrestling Podcast. So I'm figuring, what's dumber and jockier in wrestling than Lucha? We talked about it when we were doing the uh, the Stardom review. So let's uh, we're going to talk about some Lucha. Brought on Parm to talk about some Lucha. Um, and we're talking about Riot Wrestling's uh, COVID... What is it? COVID e or COVID Diotas? COVID Diotas. It's like I think it's I think it's like COVID. Yeah, I think it's like an an attempt at where I think it's like some like attempt attempted wordplay, but it's it's COVID Diotas. COVID Diotas, which is videotas like uh like films or movie like movies. I don't even know. 
idiot. Idi- 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 I'm not sure if it's, I'm not sure if it's meant to be like a playoff of like the word idiotas. Which is, oh you know. yes, like idiots. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so, so I'm not sure if, that, if that's which what it actually, is, but I think I think oh. I, th- I think it's like some attempt at wordplay. Which which I have seen is like a Facebook meme is COVID idiots. I've seen people using that term on like American Facebook. I haven't seen it on Facebook, but I've pe- seen people do screen caps of it. So maybe this is like the uh, the Spanish version of Covidiots, basically is the is the idea. So that makes sense actually. Um, but uh, like I said, brought in Parm because he's the heater on this one. Because I I don't know if Quentin if you watch a ton of Riot Lucha, but I am not fully like immersed. But I know that Parm much more is Parm. Can you give us some background and some uh, some idea of what's going on here? Yeah, uh, the match themselves are pretty independent. There's not really much feuds going on. There's some background, and like before the matches, I'll give what background the wrestlers I can. Uh, this was mainly meant to be a basically a charity show for the wrestlers, because I'm not sure if you've heard, but Mexico is not doing very well with the coronavirus oh. right now, and a lot of people are kind of fucked over work-wise, especially luchadors. There was a march oh. the other week involving the top company in the world having the wrestlers march because they're not getting fucking paid. Uh, yeah. Um. Also, also, this is um, Riot's first event in a year. They like the last event they had ran before this was uh was February first in twenty twenty. So like this was this was Riot's first first event in over in over a year. Yeah. This was also their first streaming show, their first ever live stream show, and it's kind of obvious if you look at it. There's some hiccups and bumps, but it's a pandemic era so sh- show, so you can afford some hiccups and bumps for it. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I guess it makes sense if you haven't run a show in over a year and you're kind of doing a um, a charity show that you're kind of hitting the reset button and you're not really going off of any feuds or any storylines that you were doing beforehand because it's like, what's the point right at this point? Um, so yeah, so any like background on Riot, Lucha or anything else? Like why did they decide to come back at this point or mm. did, is it that out there at all? Uh. I'm not sure if they really went out beyond just saying that they really love like love their wrestlers and they want to make sure like they can eat and they can have a showcase because pre-pandemic Riot Lucha was probably like on the cutting edge of like indie promotions in Lucha Libre, kind of like I guess the closest thing to a PWG in Lucha Libre in the sense that like they're flying people out, they're trying to book more out there stuff, they're trying to book like memorable angles. Uh, last year there was even like a Mr. Iguana clip doing like a kind of conga line went viral for some reason after the fact so like they're very much yeah they they, 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 they have they have a they have a real tangible fan base yeah. uh more than like more than like a few other like prom- um indie promotions of lucha that you can point to like they have like a real tangible fan base uh you know like I, th- I, th- I thought that was uh evident uh for sh- for sure with them uh before before the pandemic happened yeah, this is just a promotion that cares about its fans and its wrestlers, and they want to, like, just showcase Lucha Libre, and I respect that. Nice. Okay. So we open up with a... It's listed as a battle royal, but it feels more like a gauntlet match. Um, I don't know if there's we'll really much a of a difference. We'll call it Thunder match, yo. Oh, we'll oh God. Let's not. Match. Let's let's please... <laughs> let's please not do that. Let's call it anything but that. Um Fine, Aztec Warfare, then. Okay, even better. I like that. I'm into that. Um, especially because uh, 
I think that that was won by Jeff Cobb. So give the, the credit. What, what, what was the WWE one? The, uh, the championship scramble? Yeah. The five-way match? Yes, exactly. right. <laughs> yeah, the, the suicidal seven-way. Um, which I thought about the other day. PWS had a fucking title that was called the suicidal six-way title, which is like, just would not fly what? nowadays. <laughs> yeah, the uh, pro wrestling syndicate. <laughs> They had a suicidal six-way title that was only defended in six ways, which is already dumb. But it's like also making your title be like kind of a joke on suicide. Just I don't think would fly um, in 2021, but maybe it would. Um, either way, we say this, but we have an Australian suicide out there. That's true. That's true. Uh, so this opens up. Um, I don't know really anybody in here, but there's a there's a couple of guys who in like a guy in a hockey jersey, and it seems like his tag team partner joins him as the third man in the match um what is the yeah, background that, between those the, guys uh okay i'm just gonna have to say it's been over a year since ryan's run so i know everybody in all the later matches but not the opener but i know the jersey okay. dude his name is kai and taya and oh, 90% perfect. Of why i know him is because of the name because kai sure. and taya i'm just gonna be curious who that is so, uh. During this rumble, we also got like a man doing the McFoley gimmick, where he comes up in three different gimmicks after being eliminated. Oh, okay. I thought that that was weird, but I didn't understand it. Okay. Yeah, it's more so meant to be a lighthearted comedy thing. It's kind of it. hard to tell because we don't understand the commentary because it's in Spanish. Yes, yeah, it's not helping me with the commentary, so I'm just like, what the fuck? Why does this guy keep coming back? Like, I couldn't tell what was going on. Yeah. Uh. There's clearly like a heel stable involved because yeah. like afterwards they joined commentary, though the like UWO I think it was, but yeah for the most part it was just kind of like what have you ever been to an indie wrestling show and you've seen a rumble they've ran? This was about the same quality as the average indie show Royal Rumble in that like it was really long. It was not the worst thing I've watched, but I deeply regret watching it. Uh, yeah, at it was the a... end. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll have I'll have you know I never regret regret watching hooligan Byron matches. <laughs> that that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'll 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 say for me like this was like this was super choppy. Like yes. I was try I was trying my best to watch this, and um, I guess like Tim and Palm were able to persevere through it more, from better than I was. Kind of. But this was dri- driving me. This was driving me insane. I like. Like this match was definitely like the the first the first match on the stream, you know, uh, the least important one on the show. So you know, a match you throw out there and hopefully throw out the kinks of whatever you might have uh, wrong or uh, improvements you have to make with the stream. But yeah, this was almost uh, this is probably like, like barely watchable for uh, for me. But like well, the, the stuff that I saw, you know, you it's, it's some wacky entertaining spots but yeah it, it was definitely hard to keep following along with it as the frame rates were uh really bad at points yeah, yeah and that's it, fair uh oh god say your thing tim say your thing. no i was just gonna say yeah like it was it was a little bit rough at times um i guess the kai and tai and and hooligan byron are like a un the un-mexicans that was maybe the 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 umx shirt or whatever you were talking about could have been could have been that that's the tag team so like that could be the the thing, but I think that one of them, uh, Kai and Tai joins commentary for the rest of the match or for the rest of the show. I think after after this match. Yeah. Uh, one last thing before we move on, I will say at least the dude who won the Rumble named Madness at least came off pretty well. Like he came off as a pretty solid wrestler, and I wouldn't mind like seeing more of him. 
So there was like one positive to this rumble. Yeah. And it's a bunch of people who who haven't again, they haven't gotten to wrestle for over a year. This show is just about getting out there and like you said, the, the company loves wrestling and the wrestlers probably love wrestling, so they're happy to get out here and and do it even if they're not the best and even if they've the ring rust is on, so you know, whatever. Um yeah. it, this is not a recommended go out of your way to watch it, but follow it up. This is a match with a replacement. Iron Kid is replacing Jimmy here, right? Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, some quick context. Uh, Jimmy wrestled Aramis at a Lucha Meme show a few days beforehand, and he tweaked his knee. He said he was healthy enough to wrestle, but Riot essentially told him, no, you're not Kazuchika Okada. Please heal up. We'll get a replacement. <laughs> uh, yeah. For those yeah. unaware, there's like a kind of a very slight story here where Aramis is now way more successful than Iron Kid. Because Aramis and Iron Kid used to team up as part of a trio with Alice de Aceroa a few years yes, back. Yes, 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 they did, yeah. So there's a bit more, there's a very slight story here where Aramis is like a bit more of an aggressor. He's like very much taking it to Iron Kid for a lot of this match. But you don't really need to like know that to watch, enjoy this match. This was a pretty like excessive indie lucha match, if you will. Yeah, like it's a it's a nice little nugget to have if you like kept up if you kept up with the uh, indie lucha scene for a, for a few years and you would um you know 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 the know the trio would know the history there and like you you're familiar with Iron, like I, if, like if you're gonna replace somebody or get a replacement I mean man Iron Iron Kid's as good as you could possibly get really for 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 a, for a short notice replacement yeah, and oh you can go ahead, yeah, go ahead especially because like. Has Iron Kid really had many, like, showcase single matches? The last time I could think of was when he wrestled Demis in, like, late 2019, no? Yeah, like, not really. Like, he, like, for as good as for as good as good Iron Kid is, he doesn't get to, he he hasn't really broken out the same way that you can say, um, Aramis has. So, to sit, to sit there and see these two, like, you know, for lack of a better word, like, lack of better words, go out there and go ape shit and just kill each other and do wacky, insane spots, You, this is what you, exactly you'd expect from an Iron Kid versus Arami's match. It's good. It's super it's super entertaining. Uh, not my not my favorite match on the show, but this is it's still it's still really good. And again, for a short-notice match, you couldn't really have asked for, for, much, for much better here for these guys. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, this... Oh, go ahead. Say it. No, no, go ahead. Uh... Yeah, basically, like, as Conan said, this match as a whole, everything was very clean and well-executed. Everything, like, had a snap to it. There was kind of some excess, like, for example, like, Aramis took a Torneo DDT and immediately got back up so he could take counter a head scissors attempt. Aramis did, like, sell in between, so it wasn't that bad, but, like, if you watch this match or if you're familiar with, like, Indie Lucha, this was very much excessive. Like, at one point, there's a pile driver on the ramp, just to lead into some other stuff later on. And I yeah, but that like spot kicked like, ass. I, I did really like that spot. Oh, yeah, the spot itself did rule. It did rule, but it did kind of spoil my appetite for the rest of the show, just because, like, it's already go, go, go from here. So the other yeah. match is also kind of having a go, go, go pace. So. But, yeah. like, hey, yeah. Iron Kid felt like an equal to the Ramos at the end of the day, so this felt like a big deal win. And that's yeah. all you can ask for. Yeah, they did a good job with that, and I, I, was, I wasn't completely... Uh familiar with iron kid um and it was like a psycho driver on the apron or on the ramp which i thought was fucking crazy um because it's not even like really a ramp it's like a stage uh, that they just push yeah. the ring up next to so you know that shit's brutal um 
because like I've seen Aramis live. He's he's come to PWG and other like indies in Southern California. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm familiar with Aramis, and I knew that he was wrestling Jimmy, who I've like seen a little bit. For, I didn't even realize this until I was talking to Parm uh, in some DMs that like he was one of the nerds, and I was like, oh, okay, I've seen the nerds a little bit, and like they're they're actually like you know interesting entertaining maybe this will be good so iron kid comes in here and i'm not familiar with him and i was like at the end of the match i was like damn like these guys really killed it with each other and you talk about it, like the crispness clearly they were familiar with each other um and you could just see the um the the kind of uh chemistry that they had with each other and clearly they knew each other so that like definitely helped um with uh with with the quality of the match but they did feel like they were trying to get everything in for sure they were trying to showcase what they could, and, and that goes back to the context of everything that's going on here. I mean, th- th- these are people who have not wrestled in a while, probably, and they are just trying to get out there and, like, show off and do everything that they can, because, you know, it's my favorite move. Chris Hero just told that story again on his podcast uh, a while back, but yeah, it's like, you want to do all of your favorite moves, because you haven't wrestled in a while, and you're not really worried about telling a great story. But there was some kick-ass spots, um, for sure. And the finish felt a little bit out of nowhere but it was cool um so yeah this this one i'm not gonna complain about it and it's definitely like a you check it out because it was slick like this is definitely performed super well and everything was like executed crisp and clean as you guys both said um but yeah it wasn't like amazing to me the next match the tag team match this uh I don't know if I'll say it's my match of the of, of the show, but it's probably pretty damn close. This is my match it's of the show. Yeah. This, okay. This kicked ass. I okay, love this. Okay, so you guys match. are on, on on the same page as me. Like this, I thought that this. I was yeah, I love I love this. I'm shit. very happy we're all on the same page. Yeah, I was afraid okay. I was gonna be like the only one. I felt the same way. I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, am I crazy for loving this fucking tag team match? But I'm, I'm happy no, we're this, on the same no, page. this kicked the, this kicked ass. Yeah. This kicked all ass. Right. Uh, uh, Arm, give us some Kratos. Oh, go, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna uh, say, Parm, give us some background and give us your thoughts. But Quentin, I mean, okay. feel free. Uh, Willie Banderas is a local guy. He's the heel wearing the bandana. He's okay. been given since the pandemic. He's been giving a lot more spots beforehand against like name dudes. Like there's a triple threat with like Aramis and Ares with Banderas in it. And I'll be honest, he does kind of show off like kind of greenness. But here, he really did a great job stewarding and whatnot. Uh, there's Killer Corten, who has recently been repackaged as a cannibal during the pandemic and i'll be honest it works really well for him the look is a lot more interesting and it separates him from like the rest of lucha indies i'm not very familiar with the baby faces though and like after this match like i'm a big fan now they were a bitch to try and search for on youtube both under their individual names and their tag team names but like this match holy shit i want to watch them so bad now yeah the the, the baby the baby face team of uh uh kratos and uh prom uh prom- prometeo Super fun and likable. Yeah, yeah they came, really fun. Like they're super fun. <laughs> yeah, they came off as like a tag team too. Like they came out together. They had some slick tag moves and whatnot, and like just they came off as people who knew what they were doing. You know? Yeah. The- yeah. I, 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 all, obviously, like this is just a lot of insane stuff going on, as you can imagine. It would. It would. Uh, Mostly break down into, but even the kind of kind of like what would you call it, like control segments in the beginning yeah. stage, that I thought were just really fun. It's a bunch of colorful like colorful characters. It's really fun and vibrant. It's like what you like kind of like fall in love with like indie lucha for it. Immediate it immediately grabs you to see people who you have no idea who the fuck they are, and within thirty seconds you're like, okay, I'm sold on this. I want to see. I want to see more of it. Yeah. 
And then they kept building on it and building on it and building on it as to when they, uh, as to when they start doing the big dives outside and you get the, uh, big assisted, uh, springboard moonsault to the floor. You're like, Oh yeah, this kicks ass. I love this a lot. And, uh, we don't usually do like throw, throw our stars around here like that, but I, I went four stars on this. Yes. I thought this was really fucking fun. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> One wild thing, like as you mentioned, this match had a traditional babyface shine, a very short heat, quick comeback and whatnot. Like we showcased yeah. the babyfaces. Willie Bondera's Denry was like the stooging heel and Corner was the more like violent heel who took control. So that were, like when the babyfaces pulled pinned Corden, it felt like a bit of a bigger deal. And like Bandera's and Corn, they did their end of the deal, like Corn hit a fucking sick dive, and it looked yes. like he power bombed himself, which is like my favorite type of dive because it's always so terrifying to see him. And like early on, it's like they build it up into a, the dive trend, and it goes fucking well. Like the dive trend starts with a three sixty flip into a Sasuke special by Promadio. Oh and, like, wait, no 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 no! He does a four fifty Sasuke special. <laughs> yeah, like who the fuck? Like yes. just so casually too. Like he just like. Oh, he's gonna do a springboard move. Oh, okay, he just did a flip. Oh shit, yeah, like, he oh, did all that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, okay. Why, why he just did an unnecessary flip? Okay, cool. Let's lucha. They do that. Then, oh wait, why did he do a cartwheel? Oh shit, he jumped over the ropes. Like, wait, what? <laughs> a really like minor thing with like match psychology. I appreciate beyond the fact like the bay faces came off as a tag team and the heels came off more like disjointed. Was that the bay faces pinned Killer Corden? Instead of Banderas, because, like, Corrin was the dude taking control and coming off more invincible compared to Banderas, so, like, it felt like a bigger deal, and that's... Yeah. In between everyone talking about the wild fucking crazy shit they pulled, which, like, they should. Like, we got a springboard Spanish fly, we have people power bombing themselves, we have crazy dives, but, like, there was some good-ass psychology here, and that... And, like, as you mentioned, Quentin, one of the best parts about, like, Lucha Libre and indie wrestling as a whole is being surprised by new people. And, like, the pure surprise of this made me so happy. This was my match of the night, easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm with you on that. And, you know, you talked about the psychology there and even, like, another, like, a little psychology thing. And it, I, watching it, I was like, what the fuck are they doing? This is kind of mixed up. Because the babyface shine almost felt like it was building to a hot tag. And I was just like, that doesn't make any sense, but I guess it's Lucha. Maybe I don't understand. But one thing that they did that I thought was great was that the the hot tag, the tag that the the heels get is with um, Banderas. He kicks his, he's in like a headlock and he kicks his feet back and Killer Corton tags his feet. And this is like really, really dumb old school nerd in my mind, but that's cheating. That doesn't count. In the rules, a tag is is hand to hand. You have to slap hands. Your hands. So tagging his boots doesn't count. So even the weird, like the heels are getting a hot tag that's been built up to, is still they cheated to get it. So like the when you talk about the psychology there, this match is like really done really well psychology wise, it, on like weird little details that then like. Who cares? Because there's crazy fucking dives, dude. The monkey flip knuckle lock into a double Spanish fly to the floor. Like, I guess not double, but the single Spanish fly springboard middle rope dive to the floor onto like just stacks of bodies. What the fuck was that? That was so crazy. I was just like the way that yeah. they did it in pieces made it even it more insane. I was just like, oh my god, like how they flip through, like and roll through, and then. 
Killer Corden hitting that like middle rope spring dive to the floor, which like, you know, is over. Like that's that dive that people talk about, like, oh, only ACH can do that that dive, you know, like the you jump on the middle rope on the inside and flip down to the floor. Like people talk about how athletic he it is. It's a fucking killer Corden does it here and it's just like but he completely bangs his ass on the apron and then for the rest of the match he's selling his ass. Like again, another crazy ass psychology spot. I don't know if he was actually injured, but if he was just doing like it was just psychology and he was selling because the rest of the match he was selling his ass from hitting it on the apron on that dive and i just thought that that was fucking perfect like yeah. oh my god this match the psychology the selling everything like you said that they did throughout this match was like so good plus it was nutty i'm like sold we uh, talked about it with jml like about taking the fucking uh the joshi pill but this is the kind of match that makes me want to take the lucha pill i'm just like goddamn indie lucha can be this wild it, and have it, psychology do it, do it. this is amazing yeah yeah, uh, one thing, if anyone's curious to check out more of these dudes, Killer Corn had a really fun chain match last year against Cyclone Ramirez Jr. for Lucha Time, one of the, like, better parts of, like, uh, pandemic-era Lucha. Willie Banderas is a pretty easy dude to find more stuff for, but I'll be honest, it's probably, like, my favorite performance of his. Good fucking luck finding these baby faces trying to, off YouTube search, it is so hard <laughs> both under their individual names and their tag team names. In fact, I'd say their tag team name is even harder to find on YouTube and their individual names. But yeah, I really hope we get to see more of all four of these guys in the future. Yeah, hopefully. But um, I think Quint or Parm, you have to keep in mind though these are this is indie lucha, so probably you need to be searching on like Facebook and be looking for Facebook videos of these guys because that's probably where you could find more of it. Um, yeah, that's true. The next next match following this up is uh is it Latigo Latigo um and eric ortiz which um yeah when i when i saw someone mentioning eric ortiz it took me a long time to to not assume that it was or f- i kept like looking for an indie mma fighter or something like that name just sounds yeah, cause, like... like that's what you get when you search for him that's why is that it okay yeah because i was like what the yeah. fuck yeah okay because like the top result is the mma fighter and then secondary is the luchador um, I thought that Latigo was okay here, but uh, didn't get much out of Eric Ortiz. Um, maybe that was the point. But... Yeah, he's, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not great. Yeah, um, uh, okay. Yeah, I'll get into this more, but essentially, yeah. Okay. Jesus. Yeah. Feel free, you guys. If you guys got anything to say, okay, I'll start off then. Uh, first of all, this is a number one contenders match for the Riot title. So the winner of this match will take on the winner of the main event on the next show. Uh. Eric Ortiz has been wrestling for a few, at least seven years now, because he has matches against like Sammy Guevara from like seven years ago on YouTube. Uh, Latigo is kind of like a top guy on the Lucha Indies right now, which is kind of yeah. weird to me in the sense like Latigo's really talented. He's like a good flyer, but weird to me in the sense that like he's kind of as good as his opponent. If that makes sense, like he's not gonna make someone. He's not gonna like have the highlight of someone's career or anything. He's just more so along for the ride. So he kind of can't make magic with anyone, but he can hold his own against the best. Well, what, well Ortiz, that's, as you said, is just kind of there. That's odd for you to say because I felt like he wrestled this match kind of like ma- Maestro style, constantly going for, um, uh, what do they call them, Yaves. Like he was constantly looking for Yaves. And he hits one of these dumbest Yaves that I've ever seen. So I, I thought that that meant that he was good. Because as far as I have like learned about Lucha grappling is like, if you can hit the dumbest Yave that looks like it doesn't hurt, then that means you're actually the best maestro. Like, that's how I thought Well, it if worked. you go online, like, 
if you read like i don't know a cubs fan review he's like over the moon for the dude so i think I okay might just be the low man on him. so i'm right so i'm right in thinking that if you can find the dumbest thing that looks like it definitely doesn't hurt that means you're good i, I guess so uh <laughs> the match itself was okay it definitely doesn't help that like the previous two matches were really fucking good and the fact that they kind of tried to do a quote-unquote mat work match, but then still rely on dive and flyings, which, like, Cordy specifically is not very good at, really didn't help because this just made it feel like any other match in the show instead of committing to the idea. There was also, like, power spots near the end that just gave me such a disconnect. And, like, of all the matches, this is probably, like, the least favorite because, like, I at least remember the Rumble by comparison also and like, one last thing outside of, like, kind of being disappointed by this match was that, like, honestly, Ares in the main event did better in technical stuff, but yeah, at least Latigo versus Ares should be good. Yeah, um, Eric Ortiz is a, is a Riot regular, so, you know, of course, they, uh, want to use, want to want to use him here, and who knows how much wrestling he's even been able to do sure, in, sure. in the, in the last year. Um, and everything, so of course they, they wanted to use they wanted to use one of their guys, but yeah, like for the kind of match that they were doing, um, like 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 I don't know, you could have got like Ricky like Ricky Marvin or something if you want, if you want, if you wanted to do something like something something like this. I feel like, uh, but yeah, it could have been better and definitely uh, kind of a letdown uh of the momentum that they had they had built up in the last in the last two matches. But I guess you can view that as kind of as as the cool as the cool down. Because then, because then after that you go, you're going into Arez versus El Ejo del um, El Ejo, uh, del v, um, Vikingo. So, yeah, like maybe maybe it was best to have a match like that there because then we're going straight into two guys who are about to do everything that they possibly can. Yeah, but yeah. like on that point, that kind of what gave me a real the main, my main like aggravation with this match is instead of just being, like, a pure mat work attempt thing, they still try to do, like, the crazy shit, like, the dives and all that. So it felt like, oh, they don't even want this to be a cool-down match or anything, or a change yeah. pace. They just kind of want to have the indie epic, and that was, like, really disappointing for me. Because, like, the first half of this match, there's still some promise. But then, yeah. like, they just kind of give up and just hit their spots and then start doing power spots for some reason. Yeah, if they had done a pure Yave match, it probably would have worked. Like with just going like with holds and and mat wrestling, it probably would have been fine for like a cool down thing. And as you said, like work as like a transition to be like, well, this style of wrestler who just proved that they're really good at this mat work is going to go up against, uh, you know, I'll spoil Arez winning the match later, where it's like a I already go 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 everything. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, but yeah, like. And this match also, like, <laughs> really showed me the thing, like, because I, you know, people fucking love, <laughs> it's so stupid that this is coming up because it just became a thing in the in the Slack chat a couple days ago. But, like, Gringo Loco and the way people go crazy and talk about him being this phenomenal base and I'm always like, he's fine. But then seeing Eric Ortiz try to do power spots here and how bad he is, I'm like, oh, okay, so, like, there are Lucha guys who are just dog shit at this. And that's why, like, someone like Gringo Loco is looked at as good. Because you're comparing him to someone like Eric Ortiz, who just... I mean, Gringo Loco's also, like, from the Chicago scene. So, like, there's kind of, like, sure, the whole sure. thing where, like, over years and years, that never got any look. So people are just kind of overcompensating now and whatnot. 
that's fair but yeah people i guess people love him or whatever and that's fine but it's just like to me i'm just like to me a lot of times the stuff that he does i'm just like why shouldn't you be able to do that but there is like a ton of i guess there's a ton of guys who who suck shit at doing that kind of stuff and one of them is eric ortiz because all of his power stuff a lot of it looked really sloppy he looked like he was blown up and it looked like almost at some points reckless like he shouldn't be trying to do this move because he's barely pulling it off um so it's just like like, what the yeah go ahead and, like, Ortiz definitely has, like, the most experience of anyone in this show probably has. Because, like, he, I could find the oldest matches for him compared to, like, everyone else on the show. Phenomenal. Because I was trying to think of, like, who would be his PWG comparison. And uh, the only thing that came to mind that, like, felt like it made sense, and he's not even a PWG guy, was, and it, I, know I referenced him earlier, like, Tony Kazina. He's the old man who sucks. P-N-Dub um, legend yeah, PNW legend. But then I was thinking, if you're going to compare him to a P- to to an actual PWG early day wrestler, um, I was thinking of uh, Char- Charles Mercury, like old guy who they kept booking and he wasn't very good and didn't have much to him, but they just kept booking him. I'm like trying to think of like who's the PWG like kind of um, ancillary comparison to this guy, but doesn't matter. There's there probably isn't one that's Brian Cage. Brian Cage kind of. He's not like as old though, you know? Like he doesn't fit that. But Brian Cage is probably the guy because he did have the WWE run as well, so he was around for a while. Either way, um the guy who just keeps getting booked even though they kind of suck um and they're they don't fit the talent level to what they're working with. Um move on from this. Latigo, he's wearing a fucking Rey Mysterio Jr. mask. He's comes across super low rent but uh again like i said he did the That's dumbest kind of an indie lucha problem with the look if i'm being yeah, honest sure than just him sure sure but he did do again the stupidest yave that i've ever seen i have to explain it because it made no fucking sense he crossed the guy's arms and then he like stuck him behind his legs so the guy's armpits were on his ass basically and then he rolled over onto his own back and then held the guy up by his feet. And it was like, I guess theoretically you could argue that his arms were crossed across his own neck. So maybe he was choking himself, but it literally looked like nothing. Like it wasn't anything at all. And I was just like, this is amazingly stupid. It was one of the dumbest holds that i've ever seen in the context of lucha ever so i have to give him credit for that because he wowed me with one of the stupidest things i've ever seen in my life <laughs> well you know there you go there's something we can remember and take away from this match at yeah least. Uh, although this does remind one last thing of like when i was like in between watching the show and like uh, making my notes i did kind of check out some other reviews and like every person I saw review this match talk about how the finish was super innovative because they'd never seen it before. And I was like, no, no, that is not why it's impressive. That's the reason why like people are disappointed. God damn it. That's like why people <laughs> don't look at indie lucha. Is because of they hear shit like this and they're like, oh, none of this makes sense. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. Okay. Well, main event, um Arez, the champion, versus El Hijo de Vikingo. Um, background. Here's the background that I shouldn't need, but I I would like to know. I don't even know who Vikingo is. I've only ever heard of El Hijo de Vikingo. So can I get like, uh, is is he actually <laughs> the son of like a legendary wrestler? 
No, there is a Vikingo I found. Yeah. But unfortunately, he's just some random, like, 90s dude. The equivalent of, like, I don't know, like, whatever, like, the new generation era of WWF, like, worker gimmicks are. Okay. So, not even at, like, the barbarian level. And, like, no relation whatsoever. Just, to, like, he thought the name was cool. And, like, so this enough. is Zack Sabre Jr. for Lucha. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Essentially, Beautiful. yeah. Just, I love it. I love it. Man, who, who, remember, remember Zach Saber Senior somewhere is uh, yeah. so, so, somewhere uh, fishing yeah. in, his, in his little small He's town. Very proud. <laughs> very, very proud of his son for staying off social media. <laughs> oh man, he no, you know he, he told he told him he told him it was best for him, and like, God damn it, he stuck to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. Before this match starts. Uh, just so everyone knows, this is for the Riot title, which Ares holds, and he's been like generally a pretty good top guy for the promotion in the past. And also, there's kind of some drip going on because Vikingo starts the match wrestling in a face mask look, and it looks pretty damn good on him. Yes. Ares kind of like has a half fur tight look, and I'm not. It's not that good. I've seen him look a lot better, but it's not the worst look he's had, I guess. Yeah, I am. I I will say that. Uh... Arez's look was a little bit looked a little low rent, but I liked it. He had a good like uh like a, he, it was a good vibe. He definitely was like if you saw him at a rave in like a in the desert, you'd be like that guy's cool, but you wouldn't think that he like spent a bunch of money on his on his look. But Vikingo man, like he definitely he definitely is like the drip guy, and he's like that's part of why I've like been into him. Honestly, I he's amazing. The shit that he does is like phenomenal. But I his look is yeah, always and, and he, has a, he has a yeah he has a yeah he has a he has a great look. Yeah. Like more than like anybody that's really like you know came up in the last few years for how good as they might be. You know, whether it was you know your Dragon Bane, your Eho del Kinas Lupuses, or um, Aram Aramis, or anyone else that's kind of like came up from that lucha indie scene like Ijo de Vakingo, like the reason why he has be- become a guy that is so sought after in the name that's on everybody's tongues is hey he has a great look yeah yeah right like, just oh, go ahead. right up the dude is hot i'm just gonna say it yes the man's got a handsome face <laughs> yeah. oh yeah no i am definitely like yeah yes he is very attractive um, he always has, and he dresses well. He always has a good look. And I've primarily seen him in like AAA, so I assume that he's just like you know a normal like AAA kind of guy. But he's a indie lucha, what like a scuzz lord who's like building up his name from the bottom to the top, and still like having like this yeah, great he, vibe. yeah he yeah he was he was he yeah he was um he's obviously been in he's been in AAA for um a few a few like years now. But yeah, he, years he's a, he's. He, he he's been he's been AAA for a while now. Yeah. Um, and, and and he's he's really worked like worked his way up. Um, pretty pretty much from pretty, pretty much from the bottom there. But yeah, he's a guy that's still twenty three, super young. So he's been wrestling super young. Well, he's only twenty three. And Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Twenty. Yeah. Rocks. Yeah. yeah. Remember, remember this. Is, remember this is Lucha, baby. Yeah, exactly. I'm twenty one right now. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wait for him. Like so like so. So he, so he's, he's a guy that's like that's been that's been around for a while, and if you like, um, you know, just like did your like did your digging and was uh you know watching around the watching around lucha indies and all and all and all that kind of stuff. He's good. He's good. Um, uh, but yeah, this match versus Arez. I mean, what what is what is there to say other than for twenty minutes or so, these two just go out there and. 
beat the shit out of each other and do some of the most insane, wild stuff that people can creatively do within the confines of a, of a, of a, of a wrestling, of a wrestling ring. And, you know, you're going to get that kind of boundary pushing stuff with, uh, Ijo del, uh, del Vikingo every time he's out there. But, you know, like, like this is exactly what you want from, I want from him. You know, sometimes it might, that style might be better suited for working like, a, working in a big multi-man match where he can get his spots in and just, uh, and look ridiculous, or that might be better suited for uh, maybe working like working a bigger guy for someone his size. Maybe you'd like to see uh, Vikingo versus someone like Black Taurus. But for what this is, and for what we knew this was gonna be, like you couldn't you couldn't have asked for much for much better here. These guys went out there and delivered what exactly you'd want from Arez and Hijo del Vikingo. Uh, one thing I do want to like give props to. Specifically with, like, the main event, there was some nice energy from, like, the quote-unquote crowd. Like, they turned their phone lights on and started waving it for the entrances. They, like, they popped off just as hard as, like, we did when we were watching this match. match. And, like, this didn't feel like a pandemic-era match. It just felt like a good-ass wrestling match, which was, like, nice. It helps with, like, the camera angles and, like, the way, like, they change their camera angles and, like, their... Just filming all their spots are generally pretty good. So, like, shame about all, like, the frame rate scripting. But once everyone watches this on, like, IWTV, it'll be fixed. So, like, yeah, really well shot. Really, like, good energy from the crowd. Like, they gave them all the opportunities to succeed, basically. Yeah, and I think that while the we, we all agree that the tag match was, was better, that this definitely had, like, big match feel, like you talked about with the lights, and there was a vibe there, and even the, like pre-match stare down it wasn't it didn't go 20 minutes like a really like epic match would but uh, there was a, a quick stare down where he's where uh, uh, Arez is holding up the title um and there was like some cutting edge unique stuff in here and like it wasn't it wasn't a great match but it was presented as a, an important match and even with no fans that came across which i think is something that's that is underlooked. We've talked about it. I've talked about it historically in the past a bunch. And I think that Elihijo de uh, Vikingo does a really good job of having that vibe. This guy, like, um, I don't remember what the fucking name of that Lucha Fighter tournament that was like early on in the pandemic. It might have been like in Lucha Cap, not not Lucha Capital, but I know what you mean. Give me a sec. Yeah. Um, um, but it was that that AAA tournament, um, and Vikingo was in it, and like he had this this vibe of just like he's got an aura and a vibe of like importance around him, and he brings it here as well. And <laughs> this is a crazy situation because it feels like the opposite of um, of like the touring Ric Flair touring champion thing that in the old NWA days, but it does feel like um, Elio de Vikingo is coming in here to like. He's the touring big time star who's important and he's going up against the local champion and and he even like puts him over in the end and loses to him. But he like he doesn't lose anything and he makes him look like a big star, you know, coming out of it. And it was just like that was like really impressive because he's just there's something there. There's definitely a star power there. And with all the talk of like, you know, <laughs> I hate to like shit on the guy or rain on the guy's parade, but like Almas and what's he going to do and his future and all this, it's like. Yes, he's definitely very good, and he's also still very young and has a lot of potential, but it's like, it, these companies should be looking at the next guy. <laughs> like, all of the same companies that people are talking about, like, oh, they should sign Almas, they should sign, um, uh, 
La Sombra, like all of those same companies should be looking at Elio de Vikingo and be trying to sign him because he's like the future. He is the next big star who's got the presence and the vibe and, and marketable look and all of that stuff there on top of being so fucking insane and crazy and the stuff that he can do and the stuff that he does do and he's willing to put his body through is like nuts. Like this guy should be on everybody's top list if you can sign someone like Realistically, why does this guy not just get like a random fucking title shot against Kenny Omega? Like, if you really want to show that Kenny Omega is so good and he can work every kind of match and he can have all of these crazy fucking like performances and be this big star, bring fucking El Hio de Vikingo and have him have a match with Kenny Omega on AEW, like for the title, just randomly. And just see if the fucking people don't lose their mind. You know what I mean? Like, or, or, or just like, dude, do Lee Kingo versus Darby. Yeah, like, just sure. Random, like, you know, imagine, imagine the dude just like randomly popping out for a 10 minute title match versus Darby. Yes. Like, immediately people would be like, holy shit, who is this? Yeah, bring, bring him back. Yes, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of my takeaway here is that this was like this weird reverse, like NWA touring champion thing. Um, a res, I've, I'm, I've the limited amount of Arez that I've seen. I like him, um, but he felt really bare bones here. And this is another like, how much has he wrestled recently? How much is like how uh, like how much ring rest is I'm there? I'm gonna touch upon that for a bit because there is a very specific case of when like this is done, but it's a long okay. story with him. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but to me, I'm just kind of like ah, I don't really, you know. I saw the 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 match with uh, Daniel Garcia recently that I that I enjoyed, but I also didn't think was great and was honestly one of the. It wasn't the worst, but it was one of the lower matches on that entire show that was like kind of tough in general for the way the crowd was, and there was a lot of different reasons why that 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 show wasn't the best. And like again, it's just kind of like okay, I don't know where this guy is at right now because I used to be somewhat high on him when I saw him a little bit more often, but I don't know where he's at now. But uh, maybe you guys need to school me on what's going on here, Parm and 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 Quentin, because I don't uh, maybe I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, then, uh, Quentin, do you want to say anything about this match or, like, Ares or Vikingo, or is it okay if I just go rambling for a few minutes first? Oh, you're, you're good. I got, I, got my th- I got my thoughts out. Uh, good match. Uh, not the best match on the show, but you can go ahead, Parm. Yeah. Okie dokie. Uh, so, this is one of those things where, like, as Timothy pointed out, and, like, as I'm completely copying off Cubs fan when he wrote his recap, like, Vikingo's only gone to wrestle, like, trios matches, in AAA for basically the past few years with the occasional, like, singles match, which is, like, part of why everyone went so fucking crazy for, like, Loretto slash Vikingo, because everyone... No one wants to recommend, like, a six-man match, but everyone wants to recommend a singles match. So this kind of had the similar vibe of, oh, right, Vikingo can be, like, a top guy. This is, like, a big deal, so people are going to be pointing to this match for years. Chris Hero, like, already has on Twitter. Uh, Has he really? (laughs) That's wild. Okay. Yeah. Literally, as soon as the show was over, he tweeted out, hey, everyone, go watch this show. Vikingo nice. and Erez are two of the best in the biz, and they got, like, a platform for 20 minutes to just riff it out and whatnot. Because, you know, Chris Hero fucking rules and has good opinions. Uh, so back to the match. There were wild spots, but with the frame scripting and the fact that, like, me and, like, Quinn and have watched, like, an Erez or a Vikingo match, so, like, we're familiar that, yeah, this shit's fucking wild, but it's the type of wild shit we, like, expect which probably isn't, like, a healthy way to view wrestlers, but it also means that, like, I'm not going to go, like, five stars like I've seen some, like, co-opted media sites do and whatnot, but... Yeah, match itself was good. It came off, like, epic enough. Uh, 
after the match, we got the Lucha equivalent of This Is Awesome by having money thrown into the ring, and the YouTube chat members started typing out Fight Forever afterwards, which, you know, you know you had Indie Epic when that happens. Uh, <laughs> nice. I'm just going to talk about... Yeah, that is pretty great. I'm going to talk yeah. about Ares for a few minutes. Uh, did either of you notice, like, specifically with Tim, because you're not as familiar, did you notice him doing some mad work and, like, some submission stuff? Did you, like, notice that or get that vibe from it at all, like, early a, on? A, a little bit, but not, like, a ton. And and nothing that, like, stood out and made me think that, like, he was particularly, like, a, a, a tech, like a mat technician type. Yeah, Iris is weird because he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. I'd say his submission works really fucking good all the time. Like, a big game's kind of talked about his flying, but, like, honestly, I see his mat works better when he gets to riff it out. But he's a weird case where he's the top guy on the Lucha Indies, but he's aware that doesn't really fucking matter, so he just kind of does whatever. Like, I'll recommend you, like, a bunch of, like, seven random errors matches against, like, no-name locals, and he'll have, like, killer matches with all of them. He's a dude you can trust to, like, have big singles matches against, like, anyone, like, be safe have them like give solid matches and whatnot but like if you go back through years and years like this is a dude who did like random like rainmakers and one-winged angels on like a triple mania pre-show that eramis was also on i believe or like that one like pile drivers reversed 16 times in a row clip was also Erez. like this dude is very good very talented i'm glad he got this spot but like he's also aware that lucha libre has a ceiling so he just kind of does whatever, and he's far more focused on just being a creative fucker. So you probably noticed with a few sequences that are kind of over the top, you might have thought were kind of shaky, but, like, he just wants to experiment, and honestly, like, I respect that. He's one of those dudes that, like, I really recommend seeking out for everyone who was wild by, by Kingo, because, like, if you ask me, Eris is just as good, and honestly has, like, in terms of talent, just as much variety, because he can also riff it out and, like, mad work or work with, like, smaller-end dudes, and... This match was a really great showcase showing that Vikingo can do the same. Like, both these dudes should be fucking top guys somewhere, basically. And that concludes my incoherent rambling. Yeah, I mean... No, I I, I agree. Go no, ahead. I was going to say, like, that... I'm trying to think of, like, the comparison point, And it's, like, the one that popped in my head is, like, early AJ Styles. It's, like, a guy who who can do everything, but, like, kind of just, like, fucks around and has fun with it. But... At the same time, it's, like, maybe not, because, like, it sounds like he's, like, more passionate about it as an artistic expression, and and that was not necessarily even AJ's thing, so it's, like, almost maybe, like, Chris Hero, like, a mix of, like, the raw athleticism and talent of AJ Styles, but with the mind for wrestling as an art form of, like, a Chris Hero, you know what I mean, where it's, like, he just wants to play around and have fun, it's, like, hard to think of, like, a a perfect one-to-one comparison point based on what you're saying there. Yeah, he's just kind of his own thing that just makes him super interesting to me. And, like, it does, like, as you said, it does kind of come off weird sometimes, especially with, like, the face pin and the variety of looks. It can look kind of low-rent. Like, I posted, like, joking, like, unflattering images on him on, like, Instagram stories, like, jokingly created, like, hashtag Lucha Libre that people kind of laughed at because it can look kind of silly, this face pain look. But, like, the dude is a top guy in Lucha Libre on, like, the indie scene. And he's insanely talented and, like, He's going to be wrestling at Mania Weekend for GCW, just kind of running back the Lucha 6 man. And hopefully people realize that, yo, these fuckers kick ass and like can innovate and should be like brought over here, hopefully visa issues notwithstanding. 
You know, I'm like kind of rewatching the opening grappling stuff as we talk, and I definitely see what you're talking about. And I think that the issue with with some of the neat stuff he's really he's, he's really good. He, yeah. he really he really is great. Like he's super- as someone that's like again like been aware been aware of, been aware of the guy for for some years now. He's everything the Palmer saying is true. The guy is like if you're talking like well rounded people on the scene, like he the the dude has like the total package, like. You know, even like Aramis, even like Aramis can like do like some of the mat work. Arez can do that both as like Rudo and to and, and Technico. Yeah, like I've seen him like wrestle ten minute matches against like the local indie rookie, and I've seen him have like we just saw him have this twenty minute like indie epic. The man's got scale variety. Yo. Yeah, definitely. There's something there, but I think that he is missing, and it's also probably partially me because I'm not like super. Like, when I watch Lucha, a lot of times it's really hard for me to, like, get really into, really, really into seeing the details because I don't, I don't expect it to pay off. But, but I do think that, like, he misses a little bit of the flash with the slickness of his work. It's like, I've, I've talked about it in the past multiple times as other people, like, overlooking how someone like, uh, Parm, you're familiar with this guy, Artemis Spencer. He makes stuff sometimes look so easy that people don't realize how, how amazing it is. Because he's so slick at it, I I feel like there's some of that in Arez's mat work where it's so slick that it you almost overlook and appreciate how insane it is. Yeah, my father already was actually a pretty good comparison there, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That actually probably is a better comparison than the other ones I've been trying to make. A guy who's just like so good um, that like it makes it like look like he's not even trying because of how good he is. God, it's but, fucking wild, like, how many dudes are just out there, like, on, like, that Ares or Artemis Spencer level that are just kind of, like, riffing it out. Yeah, exactly. Guys who are just having fun. And if they were, like, had that certain kind of drive that that is probably, like, unhealthy and makes it so you can't just, like, be a normal dude who's, like, happy. Because, you know, I, I hung out with Artie you know yeah. once yeah you and know like, what he's like you know he's and, a pretty chill dude and like and he just I comes across as, like sucks. super content yeah he just seems like a guy who's like content with life and everything is fine yeah i mean like i probably shouldn't be talking too much about his personal life but like he has like a pretty good person like he's pretty happy with it and also i imagine like the dude saw tony Cozina and david wretched and chose to go <laughs> a different path and i respect that <laughs> yes i can't blame him for that but uh quentin i mean you've talked about the match you've talked about everything um but we talk about both these guys both these guys let's do that kind of chant they should be typing that in the chat um like what is the ceiling floor and what is the preferred future for these guys because they do feel like they should be it but lucha is so fucking weird man like Lucha is tough because you see these guys and and you know that they can end up doing opening card trios matches for the rest of their life on AAA or CMLL or something and then never be a top guy. Like someone who comes to mind is like Cavanario, who you're just like, this guy's amazing and he'll just have a he could have a job for life doing bullshit on big shows for no reason. And then like. Everybody else on the card is nowhere near as good as them, but he can, like, make a career of that. Like, do you think these guys will do something? Do you think that they could... I think, to me, Vikingo, I think, could transition to America. Arez, I don't know if he could. But, like, where where do you see... What do you Uh, see happening with them? I'm probably probably with you there on on, on both of those assessments. Uh, I think Iho de la Vikingo could show up on any programming in 
Or show up in any promotion, honestly. I think that he could show up in any promotion in the world and he would immediately be, people would drool over him and be begging and yearning to see more of him the next week. Yeah, like- I think he, I think he's that kind of talent. I think he stands out that much. Um, you know, especially in a world where like, you know, high flying is the norm and, you know, wrestlers tend, are, are, are trending smaller and stuff like that. That he's a guy that what he does, still stands out because no one does it as good as him. No one does that style of flying and no one is as consistently innovative as him other than, you know, someone like Ray Phoenix. So, I think for me, like, Vikingo's ceiling is as far as the, as far as the wrestling world lets it. Like, this guy should be on national television on a regular basis. And And he does impact stuff and it impacts Whole situations are iffy, and how many people really pay attention to it. But like, but this is a guy that could be a for him when he was on there, though. Like, he was only yeah, like because yeah, Visa shit. But like, everyone wanted him to come back pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so I think, I think for me, Vikingo is for sure someone that, if the wrestling world al- allowed it, if you know things worked out in the best favor, he could be a really popular guy, and hopefully. People are better at maintaining someone like him and realize, hey, like you can do basic stuff with him. Yeah, like maybe a language barrier might exist or maybe like these things might like, you know, there might be issues here. But if you see a talent, you should use it. You shouldn't just have a guy like this sitting around working dark. This is a guy that should be on. Do this guy. This is a guy that should be doing nothing but dynamite. Yeah. Have him go out there and just have good matches. Like that, that's that's all that is, and I guarantee you, Vikingo be, will, be, will become one of the mo- one of the more popular guys on the on the show every week. Arez, I think he's a little bit more to gauge, even a little bit harder to gauge, even though he's probably the better over like, overall like wrestler. You know, if, if we're looking at that, maybe I wouldn't say talent because Vikingo has the look part, the aesthetic part of wrestling down more than more than Arez does, but as a performer. Arez is super well-rounded, but I don't think that he's as outwardly dazzling or spectacular or memorable as Ijo Del Vikingo. So I would love to see him work the, work his way through the ranks in Lucha and become a bigger become a big star in one of the in one of the major promotions. But do I see a big U.S. crossover in Arez's future? Probably not. If I had to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You and Tim both hit it on the nail on the head there. Because like with Vikingo. Something like people forget about the Kenny and Laredo match because it was so long after, but like there was a Vikingo slash Kenny match set up there for next time. So yeah. I just imagine like there has to be some sort of like visa bullshit going on because like fans have been dueling over him. Like MLW clearly wants him because like they focus on the Latino fan base and like there's a reason why all the like gift makers specifically want to highlight Vikingo. Like he's over. Like the white dudes at training I talked to know who Vikingo is. Like he's clearly going to be a star by by comparison with like Erez. At one point, he wrestled in GCW against Blake Christian, and it went really fucking well. I'd love to see him as, like, kind of that type of person where he gets flown in every once in a while and just, like, makes match against, like, a young high flyer type of deal. Yeah, he, yeah. he could do that. Yeah, yeah. instead just, of Blake like, Christian against someone good would be, uh, like, the optimum choice there, but yes. Yeah, like, it's, like imagine, like, if he can do that with Blake Christian, who else can he do that Yeah, with, exactly. You know? Yeah, like, I'll just talk my head here, I'm thinking, like, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Arez come out there and... Work, work a couple matches versus guys like Leo Rush or like Lee Moriarty. Yeah, or like or Tank ACH, you. 
Or Tankman, yeah. Like, dude's got variety. You could give him against, like, anyone, really. And, like, yeah. there's so there's a lot of wrestlers on this planet and a lot of wrestlers GCW book. Like, yeah, just both very talented dudes, and I hope their careers would go well. Erez has been given a few AAA shots, so hopefully he'll keep just getting those and just keep on, like, having solid matches here and there. And Vikingo, like, the man's over enough that people are telling rumors about him on the dirt sheet, so, so you know, like, he's popular. He has to be successful at some point, too. Yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, okay, so I'll pull back the curtain a little bit, but this was like probably three years ago range. I was talking about doing podcast stuff, and I was like trying to put together um, ideas, and oh, fuck, so now I'm trying to think, okay, when did we do, Quentin, when did we do the um, career retrospective Daniel Maccabee thing? Was that about his 2019 year? Yeah, that's 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, so so I was talking to Dan about doing that, but for 2018, right? At some point. And another idea on top of the 2018, let's talk about your year for 2018, was also, well, we could do an episode where me and you just bo- both watch like six or seven El Hijo de Vikingo matches. So back all the way back in 2018, I this guy was like buzzy enough to where I was like, it would be interesting to just talk about a bunch of his matches. So like, yeah, that's like kind of he's had buzz for, you know, four or five years at this point as being a guy. So it's like it's interesting to me that nothing has really come from it yet. But, you know, obviously the pandemic fucked things up because clearly they were building towards something with like an Omega match and everything else. So we'll see where they go from here. But. He's definitely someone, uh, someone that people have their eyes on, including Chris Hero, which I didn't even know about that, but that's wild. Uh, I guess uh, he's, Chris you know, Hero is a big lucha dude, so friend of the he is a big dude and he is a lucha dude, so yes, definitely. But he's friend of a uh, friend of the pod, so we have to we have to like basically accept that Chris Hero is part of the extended we don't know wrestling family at this point. So of course he he saw this match and was a big fan of it because this match kicked ass. Um, hopefully I wish, I wish he had also seen the tag team match and maybe given that some, some love because, uh, the yeah. tag team match was obviously a little bit better, but whatever. Yeah. But yeah, basically if you watch the show, by the time it's on IWTV, the frame rate and all that'll be fixed to watch the tag match, the main event. And if you still have like, if you're still in the mood for more then check out Aramis Iron Kid. Commentary was pretty enthusiastic and yeah, no, just a solid show. The wrestlers, I think they fundraised like $6,000 total, which was pretty good. Yeah, that's good. They deserve it. Um, I guess we'll we'll head out unless you guys have anything else you want to hit. You have any closing uh, stingers you want to get on? Uh, uh Parm, plug 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 your uh, plug your plug uh, plug everything first for and you. Foremost, even though I made no references to it and I probably committed career suicide today, uh, I am a professional wrestler based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. By at is by boy Parma. Uh, thank you for letting me be like the third best Pacific Northwest wrestler Tim's interviewed <laughs> behind Maccabi and Beef Boy. Uh, typically, I would be plugging a lot of matches. My YouTube channel, Parman Reborn with the generic Persona 5 profile pic, films a lot of matches around here. They're all very good. I l- love to showcase the matches, but you know, there's a pandemic going around, so we haven't had much news recently, recently being a year. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, feel free to give me that cloud. Thank you, Tim and Quentin, Please. for having me on. And, like, one final call for action. Like, always look forward to, like, all the new hot stuff. Always, like, give Lucha Libre a chance. Always, like, give Small Indies a chance. So, 
I always like support wrestlers in case someone's shitty, etc. And Quentin, please, for the love of God, follow me back on Twitter already. <laughs> I didn't realize I didn't follow oh, you. <laughs> I didn't Why realize this. Simon and Brock follow me on Twitter, but you don't. Ooh, how does no, that like, happen? No, see, no, 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 see, here's the thing. is like, I am so rarely on Twitter sometimes. No, I, like, it, I forget I get it. So I forget I that I don't follow. I, I don't think I follow you or Cody. <laughs> no, like, you're good. Like, you're like, good. I just want to. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Tim will tell you. Like, yes. Like, like yeah, Quentin like yeah, Quentin disappears. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. If I was for like I saw a tweet of yours at the same time Tim DM me, I would have forgotten about it too. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that perfect. now. Perfect. Ooh, um, I've already out. turned a profit from this podcast appearance. Thank you for getting my new favorite podcast appearance. Uh, thank you, thank <laughs> you. But uh, but yeah, thanks, uh, Parm for for that one. Check out yeah, Parm Man Reborn. We've we've. We've talked up so many fucking matches that the only reason why we saw them was on your YouTube, which I've I've pointed out and called out. Post pandemic, we there should be a system set up so there will be other options. Of- Hopefully, but yeah, but but yeah, we I have been and Quentin as well have been like uh, giving shout outs to your YouTube for a long time at this point. So I, I have heard, and that does make me very happy. Thank you yeah. both for like always checking out my scene and whatnot <laughs> and seeing my but, children. But check out the wrestling as well because uh, Parm is not—he's not the worst wrestler out there, guys. There's, yeah, I'm there's not a... that good. Like it's pretty yeah. shitty that I came and criticized wrestlers on this show. Hey. Like I, no, no, I get it, I get it. But like, I'm not the worst, but I'm definitely far from the best in my scene. You know? Sure, sure. But you were trained by one of the best in Artemis Spencer, so we'll, we'll give yes. you that. Um, Quentin, I also bend very funny. I'm like the Dollar Store Oswald project, though. Yeah. Which Oswald Project has been a long-term favorite of this podcast, or at least of mine. Um, Quentin, close us out. I can't. I can't. I can't wait. I can't. I can't wait for Brock to have a par match on his top one hundred yes. one of these God. years. Anyway, I, I did. That, <laughs> anyway, I, I did that no rope. I I did that no knee bridge, and I didn't end up on your list. I felt very insulted by that, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> but. Anyway, this is this is really this is a really fun show, and we'll be back next week. I don't know what the fuck is going on next week. I guess I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time. Thank you so much. Bye bye.